Welcome to Bad Puns and Machine Guns, the podcast where we watch and discuss every Arnold Schwarzenegger movie one at a time, and maybe the occasional surprise as well. I'm Kevin Keen. And I'm Mike Olson. And today we'll be discussing Eraser, released by Warner Brothers on June 21st, 1996, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, James Caan, Vanessa Williams, James Coburn, James Cromwell, Danny Nucci, and Robert Pastorelli. Written by Tony Perrier and Waylon Green. Directed by Charles Russell. Three badass James C's in this movie. Yes. It's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of funny when I put the, I wrote the, the, the credits out. James Caan, James Coburn, James Cromwell. It's three tough old dudes. <laughs> t- t- tough old dudes with varying uh, screen times from very little to a lot. Yeah, well, this is actually pretty early in James Cromwell's career, even though he was pretty old. But I just, it just cracked me up. It's like, did they just cast this out of the phone book? <laughs> Just open it to open the seas. Right. to seas. Uh, and we want just James. That's all we want. We don't want... Don't give me anything else. Yeah. Eraser. This is uh, this is one of those movies that... And we were just talking about it before the show. You know, we had both seen but you know, as as teenagers. But I doubt I've watched it since. And you, you said you hadn't seen it since, right? No, I don't remember having seen it since. And this is... Um, some of the reason I think you said on the last show why you selected it is... To get a, not only an action movie, um, but one that was a financial success, and it was a financial success, but um, it's not one that's really memorable um, for anything, I think, other than maybe a couple of CGI scenes and the fact that it was kind of the beginning, the last financial success that uh, he had outside of some additional Terminator movies. I didn't even realize it was a financial success. I picked it mostly just because it was an action movie, like in the style of an Arnold action movie. Right, you know, but uh, yeah, because I think you you had mentioned that collateral damage, you know, really isn't, yeah. and end of days really isn't. So yeah, it, he, his career definitely took a different turn after after this movie. It's funny, cause, yeah, because collateral damage is is uh, I think it was filmed before nine eleven, but it feels like such a post nine eleven movie. Whereas this, it's kind of I wrote I know I definitely had a note somewhere of just like I just wrote pre nine eleven movies are adorable. <laughs> Because the whole thing, this movie is about uh, an arms deal, and it's like, uh, and you know, we'll get into the details, but just the the in broad strokes, it just made me laugh so much. This idea that these thousand railguns, if if these thousand railguns get offshore, it'll be a whole new era in global terrorism. Yes, <laughs> just like pre pre nine eleven movies, but their idea of terrorism was is just adorable. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um. Adorable is an interesting choice, but <laughs> you know, you I, know what I, I, mean. I completely understand what you mean. <laughs> not to, not to be you know not to uh, diminish the impact of terrorism, but you yes. know just the idea that that's what that, oh no these railguns yes that's what's going to make or break the the, the face of terrorism. It's, yeah, it's such a strange movie. I mean, it's, in some ways, it's a classic Arnold action movie. It's kind of an Arnold. It's kind of like a classic Arnold action movie, like Commando, kind of mixed with. I don't know, like a, like a like clear and present danger or something, like some oh, kind yeah, of yeah, a little bit because you have the, you know, the testimony on Capitol Hill. I mean, you don't actually have the testimony, but you have hearings. So yeah, it does have a little bit of Jack Ryan to it. Yeah, and, and maybe that was intentional because I mean, you've you've got some of the success of the Harrison Ford um, movies around that time, yeah. a, a little bit before. So you know, maybe they were trying to be too many things at once. I think Clear and Present Danger would have been the previous year. Uh, I think it was '95. I think you're right. Yeah, but uh, and yeah, Patriot it, Games like two years before that. But it is kind of, and it's an awkward fit. It, it does kind of feel like, well, these these kind of political thriller, like with a hint of action. You know, like those aren't action movies, really. Well, Patriot Games sort of is. 
Yeah, but also it doesn't really fit Arnold Schwarzenegger. No. Harrison Ford, yes, it completely fits. Well, it's interesting because I had read uh, in some trivia that this the screenplay was originally written to be a vehicle for Robert De Niro. Oh, interesting. Yeah, which I don't know if it would have been as action-packed. I doubt it. But Well, uh, he, around that time, I mean, I don't know if it was 96, but he did do Ronin, which was, I mean, that clearly is an action movie, so you know, yeah. maybe that was kind of what he was in. And he had Heat in 95, so... Maybe it could have been interesting. Yeah, um, I mean, you could you could see a version of this that's less has fewer explosions, right. and is, is more like low key and yeah. realistic. So this one opens with uh, the credits, and it's I don't know. I felt in some ways it was almost uh, when I when I the first time I watched it, I did it twice. I thought because there were at least one or two scenes I remembered being in the movie. I'm like, oh, maybe this is kind of like a Bond opening. Where, you know, in Bond openings, you get silhouettes of, you know, the actual action that's going to take place in the movie. Yeah. But then when I watched it the second time, there wasn't as much. The one thing that I did note was the, uh, the, the cheap mail order piece of, uh, piece of crap yeah. does, does get front and center reference. So I was uh, glad to see that. I think, but, it's, I think it's the first shot of the movie is him putting that knife into his belt buckle. It, it could, I, don't, I don't remember if it was the first one, but I, it was the first one that I remember. I'm like, oh yeah, I know that that's in this movie. I, I think I know the answer to this question, but... Uh, Better or worse belt buckle than Last Action Hero? Oh, we're going to rank our belt buckles. Oh, uh, if we're ranking the belt buckles, it's not even close to Last Action Hero. <laughs> I agree. Not even close. No, nor is the opening to this, you know, a tenth of the opening to Last Action Hero. Oh, yeah, you're correct. But uh, I just think it's funny that, like, 90s action movies, for some yes. reason, were very belt buckle heavy. Yes. They're just belt you buckle to, focused. You had to cowboy up, apparently, in the, in the you know, mid to late 90s. Well, the, the Last Action Hero one was very cowboy, but this one is just, it's just a really dumpy square yes. he's got a knife hidden in it but yes. uh, it's utilitarian otherwise yeah very, this movie is very utilitarian i think that's that's a really apt word to choose like everything like all the cars he's driving i made a lot of notes of just like he's driving a, a station wagon at one point and yeah. then just like a cargo van and then he's driving a tow truck he's just there's no yeah you're right there isn't i didn't think about this i, I i've referenced how it was kind of like a bond opening or i thought it was in my first viewing uh, there's no glamour for no. for John Kruger. That's that is the for absolute sure. No glamour in this movie whatsoever. Utilitarian is a great word. He's a very yeah. utilitarian action yes. hero. If guy. he needs a body at the morgue, he'll go get a couple of bodies at the morgue. <laughs> right. So yeah, John Kruger. What's your judgment of this name and whether or not it fits Arnold? I, well, I like the connection to Stay Hungry that we had Freddy Krueger, at least the actor who played Freddy Krueger in the last <laughs> one, and we got John Krueger in this one. I didn't make that connection. Uh, you know, he, he's got a lot of Johns, but you know, Krueger isn't as um, as Anglo as uh, some of his other character names. Yeah, it's a mix. They, they actually did make a nod to, yes, to, the, to, to, his, a, to his accent. It's a little bit Germanic as uh, yes. Krueger. But uh, yeah, this is the third John we've had so far. Yes. If, if you count Jack Slater, which I assume. I, I of course, count Jack Slater. <laughs> right. I'm still waiting for those, this podcast to really catch fire and how they would realize their mistake in not remaking, or making, I should say, Jack Slater movies. Yeah, yeah so there's, this, there's uh, this montage of him suiting up he looks like he's about to like he's about to commit a home invasion. He's just all dressed. Yes. I mean, it's kind of ninja-ish. His outfit. Well, that's that's exactly what I have. I said. Apparently, this movie taught me that marshals dress like ninjas because <laughs> he acts like a ninja in a couple of couple of scenes in this movie, and uh, this one in particular, he starts off dressed like one. Yeah, we have to. We should uh, note the ninja moves and the ninja moments because there's actually there's one very early because so the movie opens at this house where a bunch of mob guys are beating up uh, Pastorelli. Yeah, Johnny. Johnny, yes. Yeah. Johnny Pastorelli, that's the character's name? Or uh, the Pastor, well, Robert Pastorelli. Johnny um, is the character's, character's name, the mobster. Uh, I don't know if you get 
I don't remember getting his last name. You know, I know it's in the credits, but I don't know. I don't remember actually seeing it or yeah, hearing it. There's a lot of that where they only use first names. Like, I, uh, we'll get to it. I have a note about James Conn's character later about his last name. So, so yes, Johnny is uh, Johnny has run afoul of of his mob cohorts and. Some guys have been sent to kill Johnny, and and that's Amore is playing on a radio somewhere. Just in case you weren't sure what you, you what ethnicity sh- these guys are, you weren't sure what mob uh, that they were part of. Yeah. Uh, so then the door mysteriously opens. A guy goes out to investigate, and here, there's our first uh, ninja move. The first ninja move, which which I have, is I don't understand because when you see the exterior of that house. It's not a Tudor house, but the front roof is not a flat roof, so I don't understand how he pulled that ninja move off. Yeah, he's, it's got to be a precarious. You don't see what you only see his hands come down, and he kind of yes. garrotes that guy, but he strangles him. But uh, yeah, he, he must be hanging on very precariously up there. I can't yes. even imagine what uh, kind of uh, you know. He's probably like wrapped in a pretzel, trying to just hold on for dear life. Yeah, and that's just one of those things that I, I don't understand. If you're going to have this ninja move, is it really that hard to find a house? At, you know, as your establishing shot that has a flat roof in front? I don't think it is, but, you know, whatever. I mean, this is just this is just an indication. There's a, there are a lot of moments in this movie, and again, let's stop, where he's just magic. Yeah. You know, John Kruger is just, he just disappears without explanation. He appears without explanation. Just it, Sometimes so he'll make moments. sewer grates appear out of thin air that don't exist. <laughs> right, and uh, whatever. We'll get, we'll get to the specific moments, but uh, th- that's just par for the course of this movie. It's just establishing... He's such a he's such an amazing like special ops guy that he can cling to the slantists of roofs and yes. you know, he he can just Wh- do it. Which is interesting that they have that that he is such a great operator when from anything you can tell in the movie he's only been in the marshal service. You know with with Khan's character uh Rob DeGurin or something like that. I, I know you said you'll yeah, I have a note of his last name. Um he, they've at least established he was in the CIA. He's done, you know, other stuff in his career. I, it, I found it, you know, interesting that he's been a U.S. Marshal his entire career, and he's this great operator. Yeah. Well, they have some kind of uh, what do they call it? It's like some of the secret forces, yeah. division or something. Like yes. That. It's like thank God for special, the special special operations. So yeah, I, I've got a note that somewhere is it, is it special operations? It's something like that. <laughs> it's they but, still have certain privileges. The idea that it's this this secret ops within the marshal service, like of all yeah, of all the, uh, they should have just made him in the CIA. Like they should have just. Why is he a, a marshal? Like the idea. I mean, I get the idea that. This whole thing revolves around witness protection. Yeah, and he's a bo- basically a bodyguard in this movie. But he's not, because he's doing all kinds of crazy right, he's, stuff. He's doing all kinds of other crazy stuff. But then again, you know, the, the marshals... It, it's interesting, because you, you do have a marshal-focused movie. Um, not this year, but the next year, Con Air. Uh, I've, I've got that in my notes for, for some discussion purposes. So, so the reason I, I guess I say it's interesting is that, you know, a marshal, you think of two things. Transporting prisoners... Right. Uh, either the fugitive or Con Air or auctioning off, you know, seized property. And neither one of those necessarily, they had either already been done relatively recently in terms of the fugitive to, you know, pretty good acclaim yeah. or seized property really isn't all that interesting, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't so, think you can build an action movie around you can't, seized well, property. Yeah, you can't build an Arno movie around that. Yeah, so he, he sneaks in and kills another guy with the freezer. He snaps the guy's neck in the freezer. Yes, the guy, is, he was, of course, you know, scrounging around for some, some food. Yeah, well, I think he was getting ice because the mob boss broke his hand. And yeah, he, and but he gets himself a chicken wing. He does get himself a chicken wing. You're right. I forgot about that. Uh, 
but I just it's it's fortunate that Arnold didn't spout an ice related pun here because uh, I'm sure because yeah, the following year was Batman and Robin and yep. I'm sure he could have warmed up got gotten himself ready well he could have wasted one he could have been you know, like this way he didn't <laughs> he still had all those chambers they're all fresh yeah they're, they're, his bullets are all in the chamber there the the one thing I wanted to notice is when they're torturing Johnny um, for for those that may or may not be uh, watching this I didn't get the the minute and second down but the guy. Who's, who has the uh, the plastic bag and the pliers? The faces that he makes there—it's really bad acting and kind of kind of fun. Right. Um, so I, I made a note of it. On some of these, I did write down the the minute, you know, the hour and minute and second. I didn't on this one. It's just more of just check out that guy's face if you do watch it. Uh, he's he clearly must be a stunt man and not an actor because they're they're not. Not I kinda, very believable. I didn't notice that. Is this this guy, or we're watching it muted right now? With uh, uh, it's, it's, yeah, that guy. So he's very emphatic the way he like opens the bag, and then I just <laughs> <laughs> he goes with the pliers. Yeah, we're so, at the I don't know three three thirty yeah three thirty six. He's very emphatic the way he opens up the bag to get uh, get the tongue, and then the face he makes with the pliers. He clearly is not a, a trained actor. He is a, probably a stunt man. Yeah, well, he's you know he doesn't have any lines. He's like, I'm going to make sure you know. I'm, I'm going to ham it up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, Arnold. So Arnold jumps in. He shoots a guy. He kills one guy, and then he shoots the boss right in the in the leg or something. Yes, and ends up uh, strangling him. So there's our first four body count yep. right there. We're already up to four. So that's what I was going to question. Um, when we're doing a body count, do do we count the cadavers? Uh, because Arnold in the utilitarian station wagon that you have noted has two cadavers that right. he has brought with him, which I was very disappointed in this scene. They wait. Uh, talk about a wasted opportunity. He carries one of them, but he has Johnny, Robert Pastorelli. I was so disappointed. <laughs> he should have been carrying both of those bodies. I had that exact same note. Well, not that I wanted him to carry both bodies, but I went like, oh, he's carrying something over his shoulder again. Hooray. You know, because bodies are heavy. Yes. And then completely undermined by Johnny just being like, okay, I'll carry, I'll carry the other one. And he just throws, yes. Johnny throws the other one over his shoulder. It's like, no. Johnny are- should have been, at least if he was going to do it, struggling to, you know, drag right. it, you know, through the yard. But what I would have wanted, I, this was an opportunity. Not only is Arnold so strong, he can carry a body both arms are so strong <laughs> such a missed opportunity to just be waltzing through a front yard with two bodies over his shoulders i agree that's such a missed opportunity and then later when he carries the the, the mob guys bodies back out yep where they're actually people and not yes. obviously just like half empty body bags right he, he he's he, he has he has both of them at the same time and actually you know in real life that's actually impressive he's yes carrying two human beings one on each hand but it un- it's just undermined by the fact that earlier we saw him carry a whole body over his shoulder like it was nothing. So yeah. it's just, yeah, they should. They, you're right. They should have had him over both shoulders, both body bags. Yeah, if it's uh, there's a few things in this that I think are missed opportunities. This is the first one I had. If I could go back and make this, because this movie is as, as fun as I'd like it to be, for, you know, for what it is, because it's not great. No, you could make it more like Commando or Running Man, one of his you know fun ones. And this is one of the ones where I'm like, oh, such a missed opportunity. I wish they would have had him carrying both instead of having Johnny carry one. Well, that's what I mean. It's kind of getting dragged down by like the political thriller side of it, where it's kind of trying to be realistic. It's just like, no, no. just be a dumb fun. Movie about a U.S. marshal who is doing things that no U.S. marshal should ever have to do, ever have to or could do. Right, right? exactly. Just make it a cartoon, and it's that that's would be so much more fun. And there are moments where it is that, but it just it, it's such a weird fit. Like one scene, like different scenes feel like they're coming out of different movies in a lot of cases. Uh, but anyway, Johnny, he asks, "Who are you?" Which I, why is it, if Johnny's never met Arnold before, why is Arnold the one handling this? Because like. Well, I took it as because Johnny has put himself in danger. I took it that the special operations, whatever division that he's in, it seems like he's 
a one or maybe there's a couple that do this. And so he's been brought in. He is the eraser, right? So he's he's the specialist that can come in, do the ninja stuff, and make you disappear. Okay. Um, when you know when 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 the heat is really on, whatever you know particular witness. So that's the reason why his you know whoever Johnny was placed with before wasn't the one going to get him. So maybe uh, is this like a second layer of protection where you know if if you're a if you're a state's witness or whatever and you go into witness protection. Let's say let's say you're Johnny and you're in the mob and you're you're turning you're turning states. They the mob knows that he's alive somewhere. Yeah, don't wor- don't. But know they where. don't know where he is. This, so 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 John uh, Kruger is the second layer where not only are you, there's, are you going into protection, he's faking your death. Yes, that, okay. I mean that's what I, I, I. This is one of the things that doesn't make sense because Johnny still has to testify. So making it look like he's dead, I guess what it does is I get gets them. Buys them some time. It's buys them some time, false sense of security. But the way a trial works, the, the, the prosecutors have to you know, give all of the evidence of, you know, there are no surprise witnesses right. in, in a real trial. So it didn't make a lot of sense to me, but, you know, whatever. You got to go with it because this is the, the backdrop of who the eraser is. Yeah. So Arnold takes those two bodies he had from the morgue. He puts them in the house. Yes. He, he, well, first he takes, he pours fake blood on Johnny and his girlfriend. He pulls yes. a, a Stooky Brothers. And, yes. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. White men can't jump very, very good. I, 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 I was waiting for you to make the reference I, when you did I then. forgot about that one. <laughs> the Polaroid picture and the Stooky Brothers. That is a great one. But uh, yeah, he fakes, so he takes a photograph and then he puts it in one of the, the, the mobster's pockets so that everyone will think that uh, Johnny and his girlfriend are dead. And then he, he swaps the bodies at the morgue. Yeah, swaps he swaps clothes, the bodies. Here's, here's another issue I have is that he broke one of those guys' necks. So his story of they turned on each other... How, how does that work, John? I had this exact same question. Okay, thank you. Because you're right. He he strangles one guy, he right. breaks two guys' necks, and then he shoots a guy. Those yeah. are the four mobsters that were there. Yeah. So three out of the four had neck injuries. So the idea that he yeah he like puts two of the mobsters out in the lawn and tries to stage it to make it look like they turned on each other. But how are they? That doesn't explain the neck injuries. It, right. And, and uh, it doesn't explain. Because he forgets about a body too. I don't know if you noticed that, but like he puts, no, yeah, he, that's what. My other question is: what the fourth guy? Yeah, what, the fourth, what, do you, what do you do with that? guy? He forgot about that guy. He carries one body out with him to say like I don't even know if he explains why, but uh, no, I took that as yeah, he's trying to get rid of that, you know, to keep his story of they turned on each other. Well, what about the ninja guy that you got on the roof? Right. Oh, and also I had a note saying uh, you know the other question was uh, motivation. Why would these guys turn on each other? If if the, if the mob sends four guys to kill someone who who is ratting on them, it's not like there's money. It's not like it's a, I was like a heist say, or it's anything. Not a heist, where, yeah, where there's drugs or money, something that you could turn on each other for. What? So, yeah, what's the story that uh, that John is that John uh, Kruger is trying to spin here? Like, what? I, I'll, t- I'll I'll say this: the 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 mob would probably still be looking for Johnny because the cover story of John Kruger was very, very flimsy and certainly not work, worth breaking into the morgue and stealing a couple of bodies no, for. No, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, they, they drive off. Uh, so they drive off, and then he makes the uh, the getaway car disappear in the lake, or yes. maybe it's a river. Um, and then the only thing I have here is, you know, Johnny says, oh, you know, you got rid of our, our getaway car, you know, our, our ride, and they have a, a van pull up. The smile you've just been erased was clearly for the trailer and was just delivered terribly. I don't know if you... I mean, I just rolled my eyes. It was so bad. And it, it wasn't Arnold delivering it. It was just some guy. Yeah. And it seemed like it was some guy that was brothers of the director 
or you know, like was a producer because it was really, really poorly delivered. It was a day player. He's just there for the one line. Like, yes, but uh, they should have made that whole thing. You were talking about like making like a Bond opening. That's what they should have. It should have been a cold opening, and they says this guy says, "Smile, you've been erased." Boom, and then go to the credits. Eraser. Like, yeah. That's what they the way it should have been. That's not what happened. It's nope. it's uh, yeah, it's weird that Arnold doesn't give that line. Yeah. So then we go. We cut to DC where John is back to work. Yeah, I like too that this uh, when they cut to it, it's a pretty pretty long. They just have him walking down the street, and then in you know cut inside interior to his office. I just found it interesting that they took up I don't know probably like ten seconds of screen time with him just walking down the street. Yeah, says a lot about. Uh, I still feel like the '90s were not that long ago, even though I know that's not true. Yeah, but it's stuff like that where you look at that and go like, movies have actually changed a lot. Like that, like the pacing, like movies are so breakneck now. Yep, that does not happen. Now. Yeah, you're right. A shot like that where it's just ten seconds of him walking to work. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's ten seconds of him walking to work, and then you know when you really think about it, believe it or not, that ten seconds that's that's a lot of filming time because it's not like they're just doing it once and you got a crew you got to set up. Right, uh, that's an exterior shot. So you've got to you know block off streets and you know I don't know where this was filmed but whatever I there just for that ten seconds isn't very efficient because well, it's you know it's definitely in D C because there's something in the background I don't know yeah if maybe it was the capitals in, in the background so yeah you're right I do think it actually was filmed in D that that part was filmed in D C so maybe that's all it was it was just like we need to establish like we spent the money to take a trip to D C to get this establishing shot because I'm sure like the interior is filmed in L A oh, or yeah. something yeah somewhere else so maybe that's all it was it's just like we spent a lot of money making this trip here bringing the crew out to get this shot in D C <laughs> we're, we're it, gonna make it worth our yeah, while make sure that you get a little bit of time so you get a, a you know a quick throwaway scene here and you're it's interesting you note that you know today you know this feels like a nineties movie because today the breakneck pace they wouldn't have it but they just have this you know scene with these these two uh, two other marshals them wanting to see if uh, he can spot a fake ID. And, of course, John Kruger can. And I, all I could think of is, wow, John McClane and John Kruger have a, a lot in common that they're able to spot a, a high-quality fake ID. So the part that seems strange to me is, like, the, so the U.S. Marshal, they have a division that creates fake IDs to, for their new, for, to, to, like, place their, their witnesses. Don't they have access to actual, like... You uh, would think, right? Like, the DMV. Just they call be... the DMV and say, right, this is the Marshal Service. Yes. We need an ID. We need an ID, but I guess maybe that could be a security breach because then when they created the the actual ID, somebody at the real DMV would know that this this photo and that name was that could be. was a fake. I would have thought there'd be some kind of way they could just... Or just send, send a Marshal over and be like, let me use the machine for a minute. <laughs> I don't know. I guess, yeah, maybe it makes sense they'd have to do it themselves. Uh, yeah, so James Conn just wanders into the movie. Yes. Not really introduced. It doesn't Not get introduced much. Of much and Arnold's there doing some bookkeeping of, of making dental records cha- switch places. Yeah, this, this scene had a lot of over-explaining that drove me crazy. Uh, where James Conn comes in. What's his uh, Robert. Robert, yeah. So, so we don't learn his last name at all until... This is the thing I wanted to say. Just It's not until he, he makes his turn and he reveals that he's one of the bad guys... And the, I think the first time you hear his name is when Arnold's talking to to James uh, James Coburn, Coburn Beller, and he's like Daguerre, he's the mole. And the first time I'm watching, they're like, "Who's Daguerre? Who's Daguerre?" Because <laughs> I think he's just called Robert for a long time. But anyway, yeah, Robert Daguerre is his name. And maybe they did that that now now when he's the bad guy, you refer to him by his last name. He's not on a friendly basis anymore. He's only going with his last name rather than his first. It could be. I mean, it was clear from context who he was talking about. Daguerre yeah. is the mole, but still. But it, it would have been better if you would have had you know this is Agent or Marshal Daguerre at least once before, so you knew. Because even with uh, the fugitive, right? You get it's Deputy Gerard is how he's introduced in the fugitive, right? 
Yeah, but the, these guys are obviously like they've got a history right. and they're on a yeah. first name. No, basis. I mean clearly from this scene, and I think the only reason this scene is here is to establish that Khan's character was Kruger's mentor. I mean, I yeah. think that's the whole reason this scene is in the movie. So James uh, Robert comes in to explain that uh, he basically over-explains what we've already figured out. Yes, he's sw- swapping dental records. Like, oh well, with a bit of sleight of hand, this guy becomes a, a corpse. It's just like, yeah, movie next movie, we get it. We understand we what he's doing. Yes, we don't need dialogue for that. And then, yeah, later there's another one where he goes, uh, he's like giving him a hard time about the morgue, about stealing bodies from the yes. morgue. And Arnold, he, Arnold goes, someone once told me that improv- improvisation is the heart of field work. I think it was you. <laughs> yeah, we get it. It was him. <laughs> You're his men- he's your mentor. Yeah, you don't have to say, I think it was you. Like This movie is, is constantly doing that, of just insulting your intelligence, of just... It goes one line of dialogue too far. Too far, multiple times. <laughs> I think it was you. It's like, yeah, we know. We can see from the context it was him. Nah, this is, that stuff drives me crazy. Well, this is where we learn he's in Shadow Ops. That's what it is. Shadow Ops, thank you, yes. Shadow Not, Ops still has his privileges. Still has his privileges. And then he's sent in to uh, meet James Coburn playing... Um, his last name's Beller. I, Beller. I don't remember his, his first name. I'm not sure if we even learn it. It's just Probably do, or it's in the credits, but... Either way, Beller is uh, he, he's in charge of the Marshal Service, or at least the, the D.C. Um, division of the, the Marshal Service. Yeah, it's funny because I, I definitely, I, I'm, I know for a fact that the first time I saw this movie as a teenager, I didn't know who James Conn was. I didn't know who James Coburn was. Uh, James Cromwell wasn't really famous yet. I think he had done Babe before this, but yes. I hadn't seen that. Uh, the and of them, I didn't really know Coburn, but I knew Khan only because of The Godfather and yeah. being a huge guy. That, and that's the only. And he, it's not that he hadn't done other stuff that I might have even seen, but all I you know saw was Sonny Corleone. I mean, I figured like the idea watching it in 2015, I figured at the very least you would get some enjoyment out of James Khan being in this movie, being the Godfather fan that you are. But yeah. like now, I I have become well, I, would, I don't know if I'd say a huge fan of James Coburn, but you know he's in The Magnificent Seven. He's in because I you know you're you're much more of like a seventies cinema guy like yeah. you love seventies movies I I I like going back to like sixties fifties forties like Magnificent Seven he's in The Great Escape and he's in the Flint movies which I don't know if you've seen any of those but they're no. crazy movies was he I, there's another one that I thought he was in I didn't look it up that I know was one of your favorite is is he in Maverick he is in Maverick okay that, that, and that's what I thought <laughs> yeah. when I saw James Coburn I'm like oh he's gonna talk about Maverick because Maverick is one of the uh, movies that I know that you and it, that's got a great cast I mean that, that's got a great cast all around I couldn't remember if it was only um, the other James that's in that yeah James Garner God, James Garner I couldn't remember is it only James Garner but I'm like no I think Coburn's got a small role in that movie yeah they're both great in it he's, James Coburn in, in uh, Maverick has a line that I will occasionally quote if only in my head where uh he and James Garner have kind of a showdown, and he ends up with like a gun pointed at James Garner, and he goes, "And that, as they say, is that." <laughs> I he, can I can completely envision that in James Coburn. He voice says it too. in the most James Coburn way. Yes. Like, he's got a great cadence. Like I, I I think that just the way he speaks and his you know, he's got that gravelly voice and yeah. just he's he's this gruff dude. And I I. I James Cor- Coburn is great. He's pretty good in this movie. He doesn't he have is. a lot to do. There's not a lot, but he's he's one of the highlights, I think, of this movie. But it's funny, uh, just thinking back of a time when I would have never known who any of these people were. And now watching it, it's weird to see a guy like James Coburn sharing the screen with Arnold. Yeah. Because like, Arnold almost exists in this weird bubble, at least for me. I don't know about you. But like this, and then I, I had watched True, True Lies a few years ago, and he's on, you know, Charlton Heston's in that movie. It's just like, this is weird. Like... I know in the nineties when I watched these movies, I didn't think twice because I don't know who these old guys are. But now, <laughs> it's just like he, it's 
Arnold and James Coburn in a scene together. This is it, it is kind of strange. No, yeah. you're right because uh, especially you know we found how many you know how many of these actors, granted not on the the main stage, but kind of the the action guys carry over whether it's Sven or it was Professor Turu Tanaka. It is Arnold was almost in kind of his own little bubble, and it was weird when yeah. somebody from. I don't know, we'll call it the drama, you know, side of Hollywood. And I, I don't think it's only with Arnold. I'd say it would be the same thing, too, if, it, you know, you're watching a Snipes action movie or a Van Damme. If, you know, all of a sudden, uh, I don't know, Gregory Peck. I know that's... That, right. No, I mean, that's kind of what it feels like. That's kind of what it is, right? It's like, oh my, what is Gregory Peck doing in, you know, double team with <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme and uh, Dennis Rodman? Not that Gregory Peck's in that, but it, I, I think that would be the analogy that would be is like a Gregory Peck all of a sudden, what? is going on here. No, that would be a more extreme case, but it very much, yeah, you're right. That's exactly what it feels like. Just like, this person doesn't belong in this movie. Yes. Uh, but, for that said, he, James Coburn probably is one of the highlights, even though he doesn't have much time. I, uh, I did, did like him in this. Oh, and he's, he's not phoning it in. No. You know, like he, he, again, he doesn't have a lot to do, but he's, he's... He's earning his money. He absolutely is. So, really, the whole scene is Arnold gets the assignment that we, uh, we learn that uh, somebody is selling arms... For the Cyrez, I think is the name of this fictitious, I guess defense contractor is what they do. It yeah. seems like they've got a whole bunch of stuff going on, but I think it's supposed to just be a defense contractor. Yeah. Um, and that somebody is going to, you know, turn state's evidence and testify against them and needs protection. Yeah. So I don't know if, you, if we should get into this now or if we should save it, but the, the name Cyrez is a terrible name for, a, like, it's, you know, it's obviously supposed to be just like an evil corporation. Yeah. Uh, but there's a story behind this where it was originally named Cyrex, which is a little better, not much better. And there's a company that makes uh, computer chips called Cyrix. Yeah. And they threatened to sue them. So they, and, and this is after the movie had been filmed. Wow. And so what ended up happening is, they, first of all, they'd go back and redub everyone's dialogue. Into Cyrex. Change from, from Cyrex. Cyrex to Cyrez. Cyrex is better, by the way. I... It's better, but not much. They're okay. both silly. <laughs> you know, this, even Cyrex is like... It, it rolls off the tongue better, for yes. sure. Uh, but the funny thing is, they had to go back and CGI all the signs and all, everything from oh, Cyrex wow. to Cyrez. I didn't realize that. And they do a pretty good job of it. It's not noticeable, really, except if you're looking for it, the one place where it's most noticeable, anytime you see a security guard, it says uh-huh. Cyrez on their shirt. Because they, they're all constantly moving around. and they're that, you know, That's yeah, much harder to do than a stationary sign. Sure. Yeah, you can literally like see the animator like moving the, the thing around on their chest. <laughs> It's it's pretty noticeable when you're looking for it. Oh, thank uh, you for that. That one was completely lost on me. I did not realize. That. Like, I don't think the lawyers did their job on this movie. Like, they, they, James Coburn should've... didn't phone it in, but they did. Yeah, maybe they should have cleared that name before they filmed the whole movie. Uh, so yeah, so we learned uh, some players on Washington, some bigwigs, uh, could be burned by this. It's like a, it's a scandal. It's a, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a looming scandal, and or. Um... More, I guess, more pressure and more heat, if you will, than um, maybe some of the other jobs. Like the Johnny, the Johnny was the the run of the, you know, it was just the mob. No, no big deal. Standard operating procedure. This is uh, this is a bigger bigger deal than what uh, John Kruger normally would deal with. Yeah, and so now that I actually think about it, considering the discussion we just had, like they're going, they're jumping right to faking her death in this one. They're not even gonna. <laughs> they're not yeah. doing the first layer. No, the, the the first wave, just forget about it. He, he's they bring in the eraser right, right from the jump. Right from, yes, right from the word go. So you cut to um, the establishment of Vanessa Williams as uh, Lee. Yep. 
and she's walking another another walking scene, but I think this one makes more sense because it's in within Cyrez, which what I had is this place is so futuristic and high tech that there's a constant running welcome to the Cyrez Corporation. <laughs> yep. And I, I mean while in movies like I don't know, in Robocop, I find it endearing of I don't know, OCP kind of being that way. This it just did not feel right at all. And I just I found it laughable. That well, one, they don't they don't have this, there's a security desk, but there's nowhere where you like have to scan or wave an ID that keeps you from entering the elevator bank. So it's supposed to be, you know, oh yeah, high security. But all there is is there's just a desk there. You can just walk in. I mean, literally, I think my my office has high better security. Yes, it's, mine does too. <laughs> now, granted, you know, it is 2015, right. but. I just found it annoying that it's so high tech that you would have this constant running loop of. Could you imagine well, being a security guard in that place? Just working there in general. Like every time you're in the lobby, you got to listen to this voice looping over and over. Yes. Also, they're they're a security contractor. They make weapons. How many visitors do you think they get? Well, they have to have this welcome message yeah, over the PA. Now that, yeah, you're right. Now that I think about it, you really shouldn't have many because just about everybody that would go into that building needs to have some sort of clearance if you're truly a defense contractor. Yeah, I mean, it's the kind of thing where I think they're just trying to make it look, you know, because the place looks like a, like a bond lair. It looks, like, it, looks, it, it looks nefarious, even from like the way the building. It's yeah. got like a weird like dome on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're just it looks trying like to, an evil lair, right? Yeah, they're just trying to, you know, in, in real life, these places, I think, would be very dull. Like, defense contractors' offices, it, it would not be... Uh, no, it's it's not going to be, you know, like Blofeld's volcano, right? It's not going to look like... It, it's going to be a nondescript office building in, in D.C. I mean, they do have it, you know, in the right place. And they're, they're actually, defense contractors are spread out throughout the country somewhat strategically. Yeah. Those contractors make sure that they build and have stuff in almost every state so that almost any program can't ever get sufficient congressional support to be killed because constituents in every state would lose jobs. Pretty much every con- congressional district. Yes, the, has some sort of defense contract. congressman is going to fight for that defense contract. Exactly. But anyway, you're, you're right. It would not look like something that a Bond villain would have. It's going to look like a nondescript office building. But again, it's the kind of thing we were talking about where this movie is caught between worlds where if they were going to do that, just make it over the top, like, Put everyone in jumpsuits, like make it that kind of a thing. <laughs> I'd like it, you know, like Moonraker jumpsuits. Yeah, exactly. Make it just, just go full, full evil. Yes. Don't, don't try and make it believable. Just, yeah. you know, just dive right in, and it's going to be cartoonish. It's, it's this movie's just realistic enough to make you question it. Whereas yep. if it was, if if they just said we don't care, then you wouldn't even, you know, you just, just go it with what it. it is. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so uh, she's the FBI is sending her in. She's got a giant brooch with a camera in it. <laughs> it reminded me of Homer's hat with the camera in it. There appears to be a bee in your bonnet. Oh, bee! Um, the only thing on the FBI guys that I noticed was John Slattery, which yep. um, I don't know what you know him from. I I, immediately, I did not remember him being... I saw in the credits, I'm like, oh, wow. I, I know, I, He was not a name I knew until Mad Men. Right. And I absolutely... Roger Sterling is maybe the best part of that show. So it was. It was. I, you said adorable. I thought it was. You know, kind of cute to see John Slattery in something else. Um, and that really is the only thing I had in my notes. He doesn't have a ton of stuff in this, but. Um, oh yeah, I, I noticed him, but uh, you know, I'm not the Madman Men fan that uh, you are. So yeah. I mean, I definitely and and Marvel fans would know him as the the older. Uh, what's Tony? Oh, Stark's Tony. Um, dad's um, name. John Stark. No. Ted Stark, <laughs> whatever. Man, He's Stark, yes, yeah, Stark. Tony Enterprise. Stark's father. I, it'll come to me, but I'm Roger. 
It's not Roger Stark. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Yeah, we're. That's the funny thing. Howard. Like, it's Howard Stark. Yes, Howard Stark. It's funny how like people younger than us are so into those movies. And I'm sure anyone who's like in their 20s is just like shaking their fist. <laughs> you exactly. morons! How do you not know it's Howard Stark? We don't care. Marvel movies. Uh, you know, we don't know. Uh, we're, we're here to talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger. We're here to talk about old 80s and 90s action movies. Um, so, yeah, so this is kind of uh, the, the heist. She has to go get this information for the FBI. I, the, the thing that was most confusing to me about this is they talk about, oh, they only have so much time in this shift change. I don't understand why. Why do they have to time it with a shift change? Yeah, I don't know. She works there. Just go get it whenever. What does it matter? It was just a way to artificially add tension, but it was complete, like... They never even try to justify it with any kind of logical thing. It's just, no, I, the, that this whole scene of oh they lose the transmission, it felt forced <laughs> tension for for no logical reason for there to be forced. Tension. Well, it's funny because that one guy's just like, oh no, we lost the transmission. They're like, no, this is we expected this. Like yeah. the guy is freaking out, and then yeah, how does how do other guys on the team not know what what the strategy or what you know how this mission is supposed to play out? Yeah, this whole thing is just built up to to just. Artificial tension. For the audience. Yeah, exactly. And, and the proof of it is she goes way over her time. and I mean, she does end up getting called up to, to James Cromwell's office. So but, maybe, that, but it's not because there was a new guard or anything. It's because, right, oh, right, because he sees her on the, the, right. on the video, on the, yes. on, the, on the security footage. So, so it's totally irrelevant. She could have spent an hour in there. Yes, <laughs> it wouldn't matter. Yeah, so she's called up to James Cromwell's office. What's his uh, William character? Donahue. Donahue, yeah. Doesn't, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't get a lot of screen time here. But uh, I did. I did remember it's William Donahue. Yeah, this is and this is pretty early in his career. Again, like I said earlier, this is his follow up to Babe. Yeah, so he and just has this the, one scene. He just has this one scene. But in the next year, he. So I didn't really. I didn't. I knew Babe was a surprise hit. It wasn't a movie that I was interested in. I've still never seen it. You know? uh, I I think I've seen it, but it's been years. So I didn't know who James Cromwell was, but the next year, still one of my all-time favorites from the 90s, L.A. Confidential, from then on, I would know who James Cromwell was. Oh, I, yeah, I think within a year or two of this, he was a pretty big star. Yeah. Like, this was right on the cusp. Because, yes. you know, Babe was the first salvo of just, like, because he was nominated. Nominated or did he win in an Oscar? I, I don't think he won, but he was nominated. And I, I, the reason I distinctly remember it is I didn't remember this movie, but his character in terms of who, who and what he was in L.A. Confidential is as polar opposite. I know you haven't seen Babe, but you know the premise. I know that he's yeah. Yeah, he's just a friendly farmer. Right. It's as polar opposite as Dudley Smith in L.A. Confidential. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, obviously he's had a, a pretty robust career, you know, since 97 in L.A. Confidential. Well, and also either 96 or 97, somewhere around there, was Star Trek First Contact. Yes. He has a pretty big uh, role. Ephraim, Ephraim Cochran. Cochran. And it's it is right around there. You're right. I can't remember what year, but it's right around there. I think it might have been '96. It might have been the same year as uh, as Eraser. Eraser. But uh, that's that's one of my favorite Star Trek movies. I know it is a very good one. Yeah. It's, so uh, and yeah, from there is you know he's had a, a great great run and a great career since then. He has. He's he's a he's a really good actor. So Donahue was watching her the whole time. Um, that you know, as much as we said how much we like Cromwell and he is a great actor, this was a cartoon villain. I mean, this this yeah. This is not something he, he probably is proud that's on his resume. Well, he has a line. Uh, it's one of these things where they go one line of dialogue too far, and yep. it's insulting to the, to the audience's intelligence. Or he, his line is, this isn't the Red Cross. We make weapons. Things that kill people. There it is. <laughs> things that kill. That's what weapons do. That, that is the ultimate insult to an audience's intelligence. Like, I don't think you needed that line of dialogue. We make weapons. Okay, we all understand. 
Uh, this movie is full of that stuff. Yeah, and then he points. He pulls a gun, pointed it at, uh, at uh, Lee. Yes, and I love this sequence. I don't know if you have anything at this sequence. There are two things that are just absolutely fantastic. The first is is that yes, you know, it's the fake out. You, you <laughs> right. kind of know, right? Vanessa Williams isn't going to die in the first fifteen seconds, uh, you know, of her her screen time. Well, you know, she's not going to die, but I don't know if I would have expected. I've forgotten that this is what this is what I, how James Cromwell goes out. Oh well, anyway, so finish, finish your thought. He he commits suicide, and the two things I notice is. So the window blows out from his committing suicide. An unbelievable amount of pressure must have been in that office because, I mean, papers are just whipping up through there like it was an airplane. Yeah. Well, it's like a space station. Or a space station. But what's even better is that when Lee then, you know, goes to turn and run, which certainly makes sense, just it's a avalanche of people that come running into his office it's like 30 people were like hovering outside of Gene, of donahue's office yeah. and why would they all come running in anyway if i hear gunshots and i i know you know that night you know in many ways you're right it was adorable you know unfortunately there's um the world has changed you know for the worse people would not be running towards gunshots inside an office even in 1996 i mean the, the world certainly is different of how you would look at that today but you're not one. I found it laughable that there were 30 people outside of his office, but they certainly wouldn't be probably running towards gunshots. I assume he's got like security outside. The Isn't security kind of their agree. job to run in. Oh and- no, no, the sec- and the security guy's the first guy in. But if you go and look at it, there are just random, oh, just clearly office, office drones running in. I'm like, where? Why are there so many people? Clearly, the, you know, the reason they're probably selling to the highest bidder is they have way too much overhead if they have this many office drones that are able to be running into this. But the, the security, absolutely. But the rest, if you go back and rewatch it, you'll see what I mean. There are way too many running in there. Okay, I didn't remember. Just, if, if, you're, if just general office workers are yes. running in, then you're absolutely right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they should, not, they should be running away from the gunshots. Uh, but yeah, this is body count number five. I believe our first suicide on the body count. Which is I, I think you're right, yeah. Uh, just to backtrack a little bit, because I do want to read this note. Because uh, Vanessa Williams, she's, some scenes she's better than others, but this scene in particular, where he points the gun at her before he commits suicide... And uh, let me just read my note word, word, word for word. I wrote, Vanessa Williams' frightened acting te- technique. Open your mouth, curl your upper lip, and breathe heavily. She looks like a snared fish. <laughs> a snared fish. She just kind of goes like, yeah, yeah. She just kind of like, the, the face she makes, it's no human being in a real, any real situation would make this face. It's, the, it's terrible acting. Yeah, and I don't, I don't remember her in a ton of stuff. Um, and it's kind of surprising that, she was cast. Not that she's necessarily bad or anybody else she's, would have been she, better. She's better in other scenes. I yeah. think this scene, she's really bad. Yeah, because she, she, she was a Miss America? Is that Miss what America she, model, yeah. I mean, she, she, had, she had an accomplished career, and I know she acted in other stuff after this. I don't remember if there was a substantial amount of stuff before. Um, but surprising, because this was a pretty big budget, pretty big budget movie to have somebody who wasn't a, a truly established star. But, you know, when I also thought about it, the female leads, there aren't a ton in Arnold movies, and a lot of the times, True Lies is an exception, but most of the time, they're not necessarily a huge, huge name when they are in them. Yeah, and yeah, it's, I don't want to be, I, maybe it was being too nasty, because she's fine in this. I think she does an okay job. I don't, she, you know. No, but just, dude, this, this, if she looks like a snared fish, she looks like a snared fish. It's really just that one shot. I'm just like, what is she doing? What does she even think? Does she think that she looks frightened? Because she doesn't. So she escapes. And what I love is then apparently the FBI, I don't know why they have a getaway van, but they, they have a getaway van. And here's what I don't understand. They're the FBI. I realize that this is an evil corporation, 
They're the FBI. Why do they need to be like tearing away from the scene? <laughs> right. You're the FBI. <laughs> they are making a getaway, like They're like making, they just stole something. Like they stole something. No, you're the FBI. I mean, you should you you should have you know SWAT and whatever else. If this is a re, if she really was in danger, I just found that whole concept, even in a as you said, adorable '90s action movie, completely implausible. The FBI does not need to make a getaway. It's yeah. the FBI. They don't act like they have. Yeah, it's just it's just these four guys. They have a van and it's yes. Just, it, it acts. It acts like they're Keystone cops that they're not actually part of the FBI, but they're their own private detectives or something. Well, this movie definitely has a very dismissive attitude about the FBI. Where it's when, true when uh, John shows up and he's just like, "Oh, the FBI, you trusted them and they blew it," or whatever he says. It's just, yeah, I don't know if it was it, the it writers sh- having an agenda or what. But. It shares its disdain for the uh, FBI, much like Die Hard with. Uh, <laughs> Well, you know, the arrogance of the FBI in that, and it looks like we're going to need some more FBI guys, I guess. <laughs> They're going down in the flaming helicopter. Yeah, that, that movie definitely has a point of view about the FBI. Yes, like, it does. But, you know, in a funny way, whereas this is just like, I'm not really sure what they're saying. Like, it's, it's very muddled. Well, because, yeah, because next is the, they, they debrief her. Yes. And it's the whole thing of just like, now you need to go into protective custody. And she's like, what? No, I'm not doing that. And again, it's like, didn't you have this conversation yeah, before? Yeah, I mean, you, you, should, you should have had the conversation. Probably documents, I'm guessing, too, that you probably have to sign. I don't know. I've never testified in anything like that. But it, it would seem that you would have this well-established. Yeah. Just, there's no procedures. There's no... Uh, just like, I don't know. Let's just send her in with a camera and her lapel. So the, the one thing I did notice um, in this you know, establishment of you know, her having to testify... And I wanted to make note of it is that they're talking about that the weapon sales are high treason and they have that dialogue. So now I've been able to establish. So if you're building model homes in Iraq, as George Bluth was in Arrested (laughs) Development, that's light treason. Now I know the spectrum that there is between (laughs) high treason and light treason. If you're selling weapons to the enemy, that is high treason. Makes sense. If you're just merely building model homes for the enemy, that is light treason. Okay, so what's what's in the middle of that spectrum? Between (laughs) homes and weapons, is it like, you know, like... So set, I, set of steak knives. That's yes, medium treason. Yes, that's that, that's medium medium treason. So <laughs> so you you've got the full full spectrum of treason. That's yeah. It's funny. Like I wonder if that's actually a real thing. If there are levels of treason. I don't think just, that there is. I, I I just wanted to make sure. Being a huge Arrested Development fan, I know you are. I wanted to get a reference to light treason because yeah. it was one of my favorite lines of that show. Uh, so yeah. So Kruger makes a grand entrance. He's got to show up to this meeting late so he can make an entrance. Yes. And uh, she refuses his protection and she just goes home. Uh, meanwhile, so she made two copies of this evidence, right? She keeps yeah, one. She, she kept one for herself. And that's some of the reason her time in the, the booth, well, not the booth, but it, the computer ran too long yeah. that she was in there as he was making two copies. So she keeps one. She gives the other one to the FBI. The FBI takes it to an evidence locker. And it's hidden in, uh, so I, I paused it. I wanted to see the CD that it was hidden beneath. So the CD, the, 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 it's like a mini disc, right? And then they yeah, it's a, a regular... mini disc, and then it was you know a jewel case for an actual CD. And the CD is Laser Light Digital Masters of Classical Music, Mozart Volume One. So we get our Mozart reappearance. Oh wow, Mozart appears in another Arnold movie. He killed Mozart. <laughs> Mo who? Uh, I kill a lot of people. <laughs> I just, I just, once I saw that it was Mozart, I was like, well, now I have to mention it on the podcast. I'm glad that you did. The, the thing from this, though, is the plausibility of the reach that Khan's character has. I can believe that he's got the reach to the CIA because they do establish that earlier in his career, he spent time in the CIA. Do they, though? They establish that his father was in the CIA and, 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 uh, 
John, what's what's his name? <laughs> I keep forgetting his name. I keep wanting to call him Breacher because it's John. Oh, Kruger. Kruger. No, Kruger wasn't in the CIA. No, no, no. But he has a line saying, "Oh, you were buddies in the CIA," which implies that yeah. James Conn was in the CIA. But I don't know if the movie ever really. I took it from the impl- the implication. Yeah, it's implicit, but I don't know if they really they don't establish it very well. That's the thing. Well, I, just because it seems like his network of connections or buddies in the CIA is pretty, you know, pretty right. vast, and he's the basically the middleman to for the arms deal. Right. So from that, I just took that, that his reach is the CIA. But now he also has the FBI. I mean, this, so he's got the marshals, he's got the CIA, and the FBI involved in this. He's a powerful guy. Uh, apparently so. I just, <laughs> that seemed like it was a pretty, because to try and keep that many mouths happy that you've got to feed from this, the proceeds <laughs> from this arms sale, that's a lot of mouths you're feeding. That's true. And it's fun. we may as well just jump to it now because I have a note later where they, they actually they learn the details, like the specifics. They learn what's on that disc. And it's a $52 million deal to sell 1,000 rifles. It's like, that's not going to spread around very much. No. There's a lot of, this is a pretty big conspiracy. It's a huge it's, operation. It's only a $52 million deal? That's not a lot. Uh, yeah, these guys probably are not making, whatever that guy's cut. Wh- what do you think that guy's cut is in the FBI? Like oh, the FBI locker? guy who, who has the Mozart CD? Yeah. He, he probably got like 10 grand. Yeah, if that. <laughs> so anyway, but it's funny. He doesn't uh, contact James Conn, though. Obviously, like this is early, too early Oh, you're right. Movie. No, he, he, he clearly contacts... He contacts the undersecretary. The undersecretary. So you, you're right. So that wouldn't have been... That was unfair for me to assume that Conn's reach was too wide. Because no, because it's the undersecretary of defense who, who he contacts. They're clearly... Clearly trying to set up like the complex, you know, web, web of uh, of conspiracy going on here. This is before we know that James Conn's a bad guy, so he couldn't yes. have con- called James Conn. Uh, yeah, so she goes home. She tries to read the disc. She can't read the disc. Do Do you want to cover this? Because <laughs> I can tell you want to. So go ahead. Uh, so she tries to read the disc, and somehow Cyrez, Cy not Cyrex, because I don't want to get sued. Cyrez knows this. It's a CD. Yeah. She's not connected to a network. And I know that this is the, you know, this is 96. Yeah, I, we I both remember the, what the internet was like in 1996. Yes. I, I do believe that Sandra Bullock in the, the girl, or excuse me, the girl from the, the bus. Girl from the bus. The, the girl from the bus. The movie The Net did exist. But she hasn't, and we're recording this in 2015. Clearly the internet took off from there. No, we're not. Oh, you're right. Excuse me. It's 2016. The first day of 2016. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to everyone. We are recording this in 2016. The net clearly uh, has has grown and is established. But I'm pretty sure that still, if I put a CD into my computer, assuming that you're still using a computer, um, it is not going to notify anybody that it's being used. See, I can I can buy in a, like a cartoony way. I can buy that. Like, okay, they have some kind of like some kind of red flags process where it's, it's if you try to read a file, it's going to automatically send a notice. But you're right. The point to be made is there's no way she's connected to the internet or she's online in any way. She just turns on her computer, puts in the disc and it's, it, she can't read right. it. There was it, no, I mean, if you're, were, you're talking about the sequence of like 10 seconds of, of Arnold walking. There would have had to have been a 30 second sequence of a modem trying to connect, <laughs> you know, like that actually would have been fun. Actually to have the old, because <laughs> right. at least I don't remember the net. I saw it. I haven't seen it since it came out. But I think that they actually at least show no. that she has to connect. To yeah, no, they establish it. I mean, for to be honest, I mean the net for a movie in the 1990s. You know, because the 90s and even even today, I think they're getting better of what true hacking is, or you know, the Hollywood presentation. I think they're getting better. Yeah. 
But in 95, I think it was, it was kind of plausible. It, it wasn't, you know, the net meaning it was Sandra Bullock. This, this didn't make any sense. And even, again, no. if, if it was a network, you know, a network drive that she was on at work or something, completely plausible that you would immediately get a notification that file's been touched yeah, absolutely. and open. But this... She's at home. She's, she's at home on her own computer with a CD-ROM. There's no way that that works. And even if you assume that she... Like, you didn't see her dial in or whatever on her modem. Then she immediately goes to her phone and picks up her phone. So, and she can use the phone, so she must have a second line. Like, just the, the, the level of, like, things that would need to be true for this to be plausible is just yeah, well, impossible. And it, what, they, they took a shortcut here. It, guys, if you were going to take shortcuts, take it of Arnold just walking in D.C., Cut some of that out and use the budget to do more to establish the the plausibility of Cyrez knowing that she's accessed the file. And really, now that I think about it, it didn't occur to me until just now, but when you think about the plot, they're already trying to kill her. Yeah. Before so, she reads, the, the dudes are already outside about to attack her house. So and it's not like they said, oh, she tried to read the disc. We, this, the fact that they know that she read the disc affects the plot in no discernible way. No, it's irrelevant. Way. They want her dead anyway, so <laughs> right. why bother? They were, they were going to send the guys to her house anyway. doesn't matter if she knows what's on it or not. Well, they're already outside because uh, she calls her reporter friend, and while she's on the phone, we hear like laser beams happening off, like, off screen. Ooh, I, I didn't pick that up. It's pretty quiet. But you hear, you're, like, she's just on the phone like, oh, I have this evidence. And then in the background, you just hear like, <laughs> and you cut outside, and the two FBI guys are fried. They're like they're they're in a stakeout, and they just cut back, and they're just smoking. See, what's funny to me is that in, in every other usage, there, maybe there was there must be a setting on these rail guns because in the other ones, when everybody else is using them, things are blowing yeah, up everywhere. It's true, but somehow you barely hear because I didn't actually hear it. Thank you, I did not hear the lasers <laughs> going off, but somehow just like the window is broken and the guys are fried, so there must be a, a setting of turning it, you know, to eleven is it's on like eleven anytime they're going up against Arnold. Uh, because right. they know it's Arnold, but for these <laughs> just these random two FBI guys, no, no, we can dial this down to like a two. We don't need it all the way up to eleven for these guys. Yeah, it's enough to fry their bodies, but not enough to make their car explode. Yes. like that's yeah. They, 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 uh, these are experimental weapons. I wonder how hard it is. Like, oops, we went too high. Like, it's oh, got to be. <laughs> it's got to be difficult to calibrate. Where, yeah, because yeah, well, I think the ones that are out there too are probably the prototypes. Because the prototypes right. get plugged in, but clearly the ones later, the ones that are being del- delivered for the shipment. Don't have the plug-in, and I don't know if that was. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. I, well, I didn't know if that was a mistake or it was intentional. I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt and say the ones that are being used right in the scene that we're in are the prototypes. So maybe those have to be plugged in and aren't as portable. Whereas opposed to the ones in the arms deal, those are the ones that are fully functional, have their own battery packs or whatever built into them. Well, I was gonna say maybe they're prototypes and maybe they're not as powerful, but then again, we see uh, Daryl get hit in a minute, and da- it's pretty powerful. Yes. Do you want to talk about Daryl? Because uh, there's some scary music, and you think it's just Daryl, her ex-boyfriend. Yeah, well, I'm, you, su- I'm sure you recognize them, right? Um, we referenced the movie earlier. I, you know, I recognize. Them. I don't even know it. Why don't you cover okay. Daryl? I, I, okay, so. I'm debating whether or not to even go into this because I went down a crazy rabbit hole with this guy. <laughs> I spent an, Please do. I spent like an hour Googling stuff. It's okay. Where I recognize him from, and you'll know when I say, he's in White Men Can't Jump. He's the security guard, uh, the Jeopardy security guard yep. guy. Yeah. The, the security guard who, yeah, for, for Jeopardy and makes uh, Billy Hoyle uh, shoot it. Is it Ghana? No, or is he, no, he's got to shoot for the Sudan. Sudan. That's he he right. thinks he's shooting for Ghana. No, no, yes. no, no, my friend. You are shooting for, for the, the Sudan. Sudan. And a hook shot. And a hook shot. Yes. Uh, so this guy, this actor's name is Silk Cozart. Silk wow. spelled C-Y-L-K. So I went to IMDb, found his name. 
What else has he been in? I clicked it. Yeah, I saw Wegman Come Jump. He's in uh, a few other movies. He was in uh, Conspiracy Theory with Mel Gibson and a few oh. other a few other things. Okay. But while I was looking at his IMDb page, I happened to get, get a glimpse of his, his, his bio, his profile. Let me read his profile. <laughs> okay. This may or may not be worth it. This may be a long trip for a very small drink of water. <laughs> okay. Submitted by Anonymous. With 30 films and more than 20 television shows to his credit... Over 75 million viewers in the United States alone have seen Silk Cozart's work. But, for Cozart, it is his love of children and helping others less fortunate that led him to Hollywood and what continues to underscore his reason for being in show business. What? Who do you think wrote this? <laughs> oh, submitted by Anonymous. It's like some David Brent stuff. Like, yes. it's just, he's like, I was reading this, immediately I'm going like, this guy obviously wrote his own bio. And, but, uh, okay, well, let me keep going. Uh, Silk Cozart's wide range of talents as an actor, producer, writer, singer, model, and songwriter have made him one of Hollywood's most sought-after artists. That's not true. I don't, I'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I think his uh, bibliography says the opposite. Uh, so yeah, it goes on to like, describe, it gives us uh, some highlights of his career, and it says... Uh, among his, other, among his other creative pursuits, the multi-talented Cozart is completing his first co-produced music CD on which he sings lead vocals as an, and has composed two original songs. I could not find the CD. I don't think it ever actually came out. Uh, <laughs> you put an outrageous amount of time in this. I, I, you have no idea. I spent an hour at least. Uh, hold on. Let me continue. He is also an active partner and celebrity spokesman for a new innovative manufacturing company, the Original Ball Bag Company. <laughs> Whose products are licensed by the NBA, NBA.com, Tommy Hilfiger, and others. So I looked up the, the, that website, the original ball bag company, and this is the description from the ball bag. This is the original ball bag company. Uh, okay, this is, please meet the original ball bag company's founder, Doug Rugg, which is an awesome name. Yes, <laughs> Doug Rugg. So That's Doug, almost as good as Beetroot McKinley. So Doug Rugg owned this company, and he got Silk Cozart to be his spokesman. <laughs> The, just the, the names are amazing. Uh, okay. Please meet the original ball bag company founder, Doug Rugg, who carried the idea around with him to manufacture and sell his unique bags from a childhood experience. As a child in Orange County, California, there were many sunny days to be out on a basketball court in the summer after school. Each day, he would ride his bike to the boys' club to shoot hoops. His mode of transportation, his bike, was great, except when trying to get home with a drink in one hand and a basketball in the other. His problem played out one day as he lost his balance and crashed his bike into a parked car. That memory stayed with him. <laughs> Just this, the legend of the original ball bag company. It's so All of this is so overblown. That experience stayed with him, and he knew the answer was in a small carrier for his single basketball that he could use as a backpack or over the shoulder, hands, hands-free bag. That was phrased awkwardly. He conceived the idea for this product as a natural progression from the concept of the backpack. <laughs> so it's just a backpack. It's just, that was fantastic. I had this work. amazing idea for a bag that you can put things in and on your bag. <laughs> Oh, it's so crazy. When you got a name like Doug Rugg, you can come up with ideas like it, that. It reminded me, we're doing a lot of references, which I know we, we promised not to do, but it reminded me of the, the Seinfeld, the, the man's ear, where Frank tells his story, but like, as I rain blows upon oh, him, no, I thought no. there had to be a better way. Oh, no, it, you, it, it just occurred. It's the Festivus episode. It's, I reached for a doll. <laughs> Another man reached at the same time. Oh, that's what it was. You're right. As I rain blows upon him, I thought there must be a better way. 
Anyway, not to, I, I don't want to make fun of this guy. I mean, I, 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 I did, but uh, I'm sure he's a nice guy. I don't want, you know, whatever, but he clearly wrote his own bio. I, yeah, he, he was, he was, there, there's a little puffery there going on on that, that bio. Yeah, for sure. So Daryl, <laughs> Daryl is not long for this world. He's, he's clear. I don't know if he was a stalker or what, but he's, I think, broken into. I don't know if he still had a key. I think it's implied he still had a key. That's okay. the way it seemed, but uh, who knows. So they have a little bit of a, a you know a domestic moment here of you know Lee doesn't want anything more to do with him he's enjoying himself making himself at home getting some milk right uh and enjoying it and the rail gun is out there and it's it's got its scope on him and he sees a heartbeat and <laughs> what i don't understand is it can see this heartbeat but then a van just pulls up what do they care if a van is there? Do they care that there's witnesses? No, they're planning on murdering everybody. Just kill the guy in the van, too. Maybe it just distracted him. I don't know. But you're, you're right. There's no reason. He should just pull no, the trigger. Right. He should pull the trigger. No, because the, the spotter tells him, no, no, no. There's a, oh, you turn it off. There's a van coming. Right? He doesn't say a van coming. But basically, right. he tells him he needs to turn off. Why? Just take him out. What cracked me up about that like X-ray scope that this gun has is it actually like beeps. It makes like a lock-on beep, like a missile lock. Yes. <laughs> so it's like it's like a Top Gun, but it's like it's a, you it's know, a sniper hand- rifle. Yeah, it's a, a sniper rifle with a Top Gun sound. It's got tone. Uh, yeah. So John uh, Arnold shows up in this van. Yes. And he's got a bunch of balloons and a sign on his back that says "Let's party." It cracked me up. Yes. I I I I did like that. I don't. Again, I'm not sure where the if he stole that. And that was a legitimate, or the marshals, you know, his his special group has that van and balloons ready to go at any moment in time. I didn't think about that. Yeah, where did he steal? Maybe he did steal it. I'm I'm gonna take he stole the van. I, he's he's committed a lot of crimes. Actually, he's broken into the morgue. I took it that he stole these that van and those balloons. So either he stole it, or the the U.S. Marshal Service just has like a disguise, like like some kind of like disguise wing, like a costume shop. What do you need? Do you need a delivery oh, need guy? A, balloons? We balloons? Got that. Yeah, we got that. <laughs> I think he stole it. You're probably right. Uh, yeah, so he rings the bell. He rings the bell. He, he's trying to save her life. Don't You'd think just, he'd just kick in the yeah, door. Why the, have the illusion? Yeah, or, yeah who knows? But uh, Daryl Daryl thinks it's... Oh, let's see who this is. He <laughs> thinks it's a gentleman caller. Well, you think, well he, at first he thinks that, and then when he sees the balloons, I think he thinks that they're balloons like sent from a gentleman caller. Like, right. oh, let me see who's on my card. And those are his last words, and he's just blown away. <laughs> he's blown away. Uh, Daryl was not long for this world, so add him to the body count. He's number eight. Silk, we hardly knew ye. <laughs> Although we've learned much more about you. We learned so much more than we needed to about you. Uh, yeah, so then there's an action sequence. These guys. Yeah, the are... only thing I you know this action sequence. The I don't know if you noticed that the CGI on the drill bit bomb was really bad. Yeah, it was. It, I mean, it was really bad. It kind of like wobbles in a weird physics way where it doesn't look it was, like it. Uh, yeah, and I just the fact that it was like a weebles wobble, but they don't <laughs> fall down in the first place. <laughs> that's exactly what it's like. Yes. You have pinpointed what I was just trying to say. Thank it you. Was, weeble wobbles is exactly right. Uh, yeah, and so he blows up the house like that. You know. It's weird, like I, these these like X ray. They never really make it clear how these like, X ray guns, these rail guns, work. Because like you see them like zooming in and out, and they hide behind that the refrigerator, which I guess is because yeah. it's lead lined. What well, doesn't see. make it? That's I mean, that's the thing is why I understand they need to you know have Arnold and Lee survive, but why can't it can see through everything else? Why can't it see through the refrigerator? Is there some special coating on this refrigerator that it can't see through? It was nonsensical. I jumped to the conclusion that if the, these are just x-rays and it's, if it's a lead line. Much like Indiana Jones saved by the lead-lined uh, uh, 
uh, refrigerator. Yes. Uh, maybe that's why. I think it was just that there's probably lead in it and the x-rays can't it, penetrate. Well, it's, it was extremely lazy, but whatever. So what we get to is he somehow uses a thermostat to ignite, which I'm not sure thermostats do ignite like that, but we'll just take it that it, it does. I think they, those old ones did. They would actually like the spark. I know them. there's mercury, but whatever. So let's take it that it does. I, I had it that there were three bad guys, yep. I think, in there that get taken out. That's exactly right. What I love from this, though, is he's, is he's just hauling away in his van. They make sure that he has destroyed everything in Lee's house, including the mailbox. He just, just, <laughs> and there's no reason in the shot, too, right? You could just have him peeling out, doesn't matter. But the, the director wanted, no, 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 we want nothing left from Lee's house, including the mailbox. Arnold, take that out on your drive out. Yeah, so they, they get away, and he's very concerned that she's hurt. She's not hurt. He's, he had the nail through the hand, but he seems okay. Yes, that nail through the hand, too. That, that really looked like a rubber hand when he pulled that out, by the way, from uh, the refrigerator. And that's his gun hand. That injury is quickly forgotten. I know, yes. he, I know he's Arnold Schwarzenegger, but this movie is kind of presenting a world where maybe that injury should be <laughs> more of an issue than it he, is. Well, he takes, I mean, he takes on an even more serious one a little bit later. I mean, it's forgotten, and it is his shooting hand. Yeah. I, he, he recovers way too quickly from... The damage that he he takes in this movie, yeah, for sure. He's Arnold. Like this movie is still treating him like Commando Arnold Schwarzenegger. He, yes, he he. he <laughs> it's basically like you, if you took you know Matrix and placed him in a realistic world. That's basically what this movie is doing. Yes. He, he's still like the the rules. Of, he is John Matrix. You're right. Yeah, the, the rules of logic still don't apply to Arnold. So, uh, but really, that entire van scene, other than are you hurt? Are you bleeding? Is they lay out a bunch of plot. For for the movie, I mean that that basically is what that entire scene is for. Yeah, and then uh, I think the bad guys learn. Oh, I guess it is important to the plot that they they learn that she has a copy of the disc. Because this is where they learn. Undersecretary gets a call from somebody. Yes, Undersecretary Daniel Harper. The only I recognized him, and I was so the only thing I I know he did other stuff, but I immediately recognized him from. He doesn't have a big. He only has about two lines in Major League, but I he has two of the best lines in the movie Major League. He is the bench coach. Uh, Pepper. Yes! He, he is has, the bench coach. Yes, he is the bench coach. And when Rick Vaughn pulls up on the motorcycle, yes. I, I, well, this is a clean podcast, so I won't do it, but he has one of the greatest lines in that movie. I know exactly the line, and that's one of my favorites, too. And, and he has a later one, too, when with Ricky Vaughn, when he, uh, he goes to Lou Brown in Vaughn's debut, and he says, uh, you, you want me? he doesn't have the great line. He says, hey, you want me to go get him? And Brown's like, no, let's see how he reacts to giving up a home run. Right. Um, and then he goes and beats the guy in the back. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> you can go get him now as he's you know, basically starting a brawl out there. I did not make the connection yes. that that was the same guy. Because he's really... That guy... Yeah, you're right. He doesn't have a lot of stuff, but... It's gold. I mean, he's like Pepper. He's one of the stealth funniest things in that movie. Yes, because he also brings the bucket of chicken when (laughs) Serrano wants to sacrifice a live chicken. And and, uh, Jake Taylor's... Thanks, Pepper. Pepper is underappreciated in that movie, but I immediately recognize him from Major League. The line when, when Vaughn pulls up, I'm just going to do the clean version where he goes, look at this effing guy. Yeah. It's, that that it's line gold. goes through my head so many times in everyday situations. Yeah, I'll, be like, I'll be like at a street corner and someone will pull up next to me just looking crazy. Like, look at this. That, his, his voice pops in my head so frequently. Yep. So I, and I, I, you know, I looked up. He had done other stuff in his career. But I immediately, when I saw him, I'm like, it's Pepper. I, I, I did not know. I, I recognized him, actually. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I didn't actually look him up. But I'm pretty sure he's the general in Under Siege. Could be. I think he's the guy who, like, he, he's like the Colonel Troutman of Under Siege, right? Okay. Where he's just like, yeah. you know, oh, the cook. He's no cook. He, I trained him or whatever. Like, I think he's that guy. Uh, anyway, but like, thank you for making that connection because now my mind has been blown by the, 
Yeah, so what you, <laughs> what you get from connection. that is he, he gets, he's very dist, uh, Harper, not Pepper, but Harper is uh, very upset with Cyrus. Well, the part that made me laugh is uh, he's got the disc that they stole from the FBI evidence locker, and he snaps it in half, and a piece breaks off and hits him in the face. <laughs> I didn't see that. That's and I, You can tell he, the actor's not trying to react. He's just, he kind of like, Oof! like, you can see the actor kind of like contain himself. Yes. <laughs> They're like, well, we only had one disc. We can't do a second take. <laughs> we can't afford more of those discs. Nope. We, we spent it all on the establishing shot of Arnold walking into the office. Yep. Anyway, so uh, uh, what, the, what the hell is his name? Not Breacher. Dan, uh, John Kruger. Kruger. I mean, I keep forgetting. I just need to keep calling him Arnold. But Arnold's going to hide uh, Lee at the, in, in Chinatown. He's got a former witness that he trusts, etc. Yes. I, I'm not sure I agree with his strategy. He's now putting two witnesses of his... In, in danger, in having them in such close proximity to one another. Not only that you then later find out that he's got other... He has other witnesses in close proximity as well. In in terms of his his strategy, that's really, really dangerous, if you ask me. He just doesn't want, doesn't want to have to travel. <laughs> Maybe that's it. He, he wants for the convenience factor to go check in on him. Right. Uh, just put everyone within a 10-minute drive of my house. Yeah, we'll, we'll, put, we'll put everyone here and we'll be fine. Either, we're either going to put them there or in New York City. That That's where they all need to be. Uh, so then what happens? Oh, this is where James Conn comes back in the movie and he tells, us, he tells John that uh, witnesses are being killed. Yes. And they got to team up and relocate their witnesses. And bring in the CIA. Do they bring in the CIA? Yeah, the two guys, Calderon and Schiff, are from the CIA. Oh, I didn't uh, notice that detail. Now, it's under the guise of Khan's witness is somehow tangentially, you know, whatever she's testifying or under protection for is related to the CIA. That's the reason why. Um, But... But the actual reason is... Yeah, the actual reason is he needs his guys on the team. Khan needs his guys on the team. Well, but also, this whole thing is BS, right? Like, no one's actually being killed. This is just... This is my interpretation. I mean, maybe you disagree, but, like, I assumed James Khan made this whole thing up because he's trying to get to Lee. Right. He's saying, if I tell tell John... If I tell Arnold, I'm never going to remember his name. John Kruger. Kruger. uh, That this is happening, and I say, we got to do it in teams... And Kruger says, like, well, we do yours first. And I'm sure he's just like, okay, fine. As long as we do go get Lee afterwards, like, he's just trying to get to Lee to kill her. Yeah. To, to silence her about because he's involved in this arms deal. So I assume the, the, his whole story of witnesses are dying, I'm taking it to be that's not true at all. He See, just made I it took up. it as that it was true that he's the team that is there to kill his witness that doesn't do it fast enough. I took it as that team probably got sent to some others because I, I would assume, because Kruger. Arnold's character, he looks at him like he doesn't he doesn't believe him and that something is wrong. Yeah. Um, and so I would have taken it that Kruger would have checked with Beller or somebody else to find out if that story was true. Yeah, so, that's what I said. He no, has so, to confirm. Th- no, and that's the reason why I think that the that team that was sent to kill Khan's witness probably killed some other witnesses as well to make it seem legitimate. So I, I think there probably was at least a couple of others, but not necessarily to add to the body count. Okay, so... Yeah, that's what, and that's part of the reason why. So these are unconfirmed. So we're unconfirmed, not count but them. I think it's probably true. But since we don't see it, I don't think you can. You can make the case that you just made that it may have been made up. But you're saying that they killed a bunch of witnesses. Their, their real target is Lee. Yes, but, but they're, they're making the story plausible by right. killing some other witnesses to make it so that Kruger would go along with it and believe it. Okay, which is sort of. I mean, essentially, it's the same thing. It's just yeah. a question of whether or not the other four, or whatever witnesses, actually died. But what? Right. Yeah. 
So we do get we get Schiff and Calderon, but we also get Deputy Monroe. And Deputy Monroe, the actor, I do not have his name. He did not have a good year. He had a good year in terms of his career, but he does not last very long in movies. I, I do have his name because yeah, I noticed him too. And he's he, uh, I know. I mean, he, The Rock, right? I mean, immediately that's what came to mind. Within one year, he was in Crimson Tide, The Rock, and this. And then disappeared from the face of the earth. Wow. I mean, well, he's, I mean, he's been in things, but nothing. Nothing nearly. substantial. And he's, he's memorable in all three movies. I yeah. Mean, he's noteworthy in this because he's kind of the... He's there to provide emotional punch to James Conn's like villain turn. Just, right. He kills this kid who you know, we don't we haven't met for very long, but you know he's a, he's a, he's obviously someone you're supposed to like. Yes. You know, and then the Rockies, the whole he's got the whole shot of like, is he the one who doesn't go up? And he's like, I, 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 I yep. got to go up the ladder. And yep. So like that, like in, in all three movies, he has like he's this, chum for the shark. Well, in those two, for sure, he's chum. But yeah. I was gonna, in all three movies, he's like kind of like weirdly the emotional center of the movie. Because yeah. in Crimson Tide, he's the yeah he's the one who's arguing about the uh, the Silver Surfer. Right. He thinks he doesn't like Mobius Silver Surfer. Yes. Uh, yeah. So like those. That's a. You're right. Like that's a really impressive for like a relatively unknown prior to that. I, I assume. I don't know. But uh, a good run. But in, in both The Rock and uh, and this one, he he's not long for this world. Yeah, he doesn't have a good fate for sure. But uh, uh, Danny Nucci is his name. Danny Nucci. Okay. And then uh, you, did you did you uh, recognize Calderon at all? I don't know about the other guy. But, uh, uh, Calderon. Yes, Con Air, which um, is a movie that comes out <laughs> shortly after this. I think it's the next year, and a movie that I absolutely loathe. But that's immediately what I recognize him from. And I don't remember which of the murderers on the plane he was, but he was the one who really didn't like Cameron Poe. Right, yeah. I mean, he's definitely one of the lesser, you know, as star-studded as that movie. It's yes. bad. It's a bad movie, but it's pretty star-studded, and he's, yes. he's one of the lesser guys. Uh, he's also in Training Day. That's mostly what I recognize oh, him from. Oh, I didn't... He's one of Denzel's crew. Remember okay, now did? now that you mention it, yes, but I I immediately recognize him from Con Air. Yeah, and he's very suspicious of, uh, of uh, what's his name? Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, they're on this plane. They're going to find uh, James Conn's witness. Yeah, they're going. They're flying there. They get the established. Oh, we got a couple of these planes. Basically, a bunch of, and then some other banter, tough guy banner. It's mostly irrelevant. Yeah, I did like because uh, Calderon. He says like, "Aren't you ever? Don't you ever get tired of babysitting scum?" And he goes, "Yeah, but the New York case, I'd make an exception." And then Calderon's reaction cracked me up. Where he's just like, "Aww." <laughs> He actually looks sad. <laughs> I didn't notice that. I'll have to go back and check that out. It made me laugh. But uh... So what you get to then is they they clearly have landed. They're in some road area. I like this that we were able to get the Arnold gearing up sequence. Yes, it's a good one. It is a good one. Uh, I don't understand why he needs all this gear, by the way. And, and really good like piece of music. Alan Silvestri did the music in this. And it's not that noticeable, but this theme where he's suiting up and it's just... It's a really good theme, and I, again, like I, I wish this was more like of an action-packed kind of like Commando, like Commando, where it was just you know like really much more like there's there's a version of this movie like yeah. you watch that scene where he's suiting up and it's just like in any other movie you'd be like yeah you'd be like getting really excited like, <laughs> right. he's, like, he's gonna car- go the carnage that he's about to unleash yeah exactly but not in this movie they 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 go in she's under assault by a bunch of guys she's under assault and this is where the the bodies start getting stacked up pretty quickly yep. So, so the first body is actually uh, James, uh, uh, John's going upstairs, and the guy gets to jump on him, and uh, and uh, James Conn's character saves him. Saves him. Yep. Why does he save him? No, he needs to save him because he doesn't know where Lee is. He needs Kruger to believe. Oh, I guess that's true. Yeah. At, and I thought the same thing too, but no, he sa- they right. haven't flipped him yet because you find out in about five minutes in the plane that Conn's the bad guy. Right. Which I kind 
even as a kid, I kind of know, I guess, Sonny Corleone, he's probably the bad guy. Yeah, definitely. Um, but he's, he needs him. He needs him to believe that his witness is in jeopardy and tell him where she is. Yeah, that makes sense. I didn't think about that. But you're right. He does need him. So, so the, like, the, 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 the next sequence, though, Arnold, oh, with the, the, the knife through the door was at, I, it was a moment I loved. It's, it's good, but it, even, in, even in an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, it's a little implausible. Oh, it's, it's, it's not even close. He gets him with one. What's great is he gets him with one hand. He gets this knife to go through a solid wood a door. A solid wood door. It no, wasn't a hollow core like the cheap ones I have in my house. And it's like it's like I don't know three. What's how thick is a door? Like three, four inches? And it's yeah, maybe may a six-inch knife. So yes. that knife is not going to go that far. Into the guy. But with the other hand, he gets a knife through the door with one hand. He's, he shotguns a guy with the other hand. I mean, it's a, he he's he is John Matrix. You're right. <laughs> well, in this scene, he is like at least you know, they're they're throwing us a bone. At least I'm just like okay, here's some uh, you know Arnold uh, killing some guys. Yes. Uh, meanwhile, James Con. So there's. Body count is uh, that's three now in this seat. Yeah, so sequence. we're up to we're up to fifteen, and then meanwhile James Conn find his finds his witness, and there's she's being held hostage. Yes, and this and, is where the reveal. So on, I, I guess on a ruling, the guy who goes out the window is that is that on the body count? As I was trying to help with it, I did not have it that that guy necessarily was dead. Uh, I mean, if he didn't die from the fall, they're gonna they can't like you can't can't leave him behind. I guess you're right. I assumed you know yeah it's not that big of a fall, but if Arnold kicks you out a window. That's, you, that's a death blow. That's a death sentence. That's the death blow. All right. So yeah, James Conn shoots the guy holding uh, her hostage. Arnold kicks the guy out of the window, and then he suffocates. Or he shoots the witness, and then kind of like pretends to be doing mouth to mouth. Kills her with CPR after Harper comes in, and he says, "Oh yeah, go go." She she the witness has been hit. Go get an ambulance, and then he finishes her off. <laughs> right. So I think that you know it does get the action sequence, and you get okay. Conn really is the bad guy here. Yep. So they get back in the plane. Arnold's they're, they're, thirsty. All that killing makes him, especially getting <laughs> knives through solid core doors. It works up a thirst, that's for sure. Yep. That's, a, that's a Gatorade commercial like waiting to happen. Yes. Arnold, as it's like, after a long day of killing, <laughs> I need my Gatorade. Uh, yeah, but he takes a bottle of water. Uh, actually, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, they never show him like spiking that bottle of water or like, how he spikes it. And it's a brand name bottle of water. I forget. What, I think Sinkley Schmidt. Yeah, Sinkley Schmidt. So this movie is. I'm surprised they didn't get upset at this movie. We were talking about Cyrix, but uh, like he just drinks a Sinkley Schmidt and then just starts like passing out. <laughs> you know what though? I, I know he just starts passing out. It, for that, I would guess Hinkley Schmidt probably paid to be in it. I I, I would bet. Well, it's not a very good depiction. Is it? Well, it's not because yes, maybe they got signed on and then they found out later. Wait a minute, our our water is going to knock out Arnold Schwarzenegger. Because of all the things this movie over explains, this is the one thing it never it doesn't make clear that it. I mean, obviously, it's obvious that this is his water is spiked in some way. Yeah, but you know, this because is the one thing they don't spell out. So they don't spell it out because either Schiff or Calderon goes to get one. And he's like, no, I think you'll prefer this <laughs> soda like, better, which is somewhat ironic. In an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, a guy who you know is had preached about fitness, it was kind of ironic, especially today. There's such a push to get carbonated, you know, soda beverages out of schools, and that they're unhealthy. Yeah. That you would be pushing the soda. I think you'd prefer this much better than this healthy water. And in that fridge, there's plenty of non-spiked bottled yes. water. <laughs> the guy, the guy Calderon, obviously wanted a water, but no, <laughs> have this Pepsi. No, have yes. Uh, so yeah, he passes out. He sends the nine one one to Lee. Gives Lee she. Follows instructions that have been given and takes off immediately. Yeah, which I don't know. Like, I, I my first thought was, why is he sending this nine one one? Because he, he he realizes something's up and he sends them to Atlanta, and that's even before. 
He realizes he's been I drugged. I think because he, he was... Sus- I do think they did a good job of establishing... He was suspicious about this from yeah. the absolute beginning. Yeah, it's nice that he's actually smart. Like, he's actually ahead of them in this game. Right, and so that's the reason why I think he sends the 911 and lies about Atlanta because he realizes he's starting to get woozy that something is clearly wrong here. But it's because he sent the 911, they trace the call and they figure out where she is. So if he hadn't sent... My first thought was, well, if he hadn't sent that 911, they would have never found her. But maybe he's worried, like, he's been drugged. It's like in True Lies where it's like, it's a true serum. Like, maybe he thought... He didn't trust himself to not yes, give to up. Yes, to not give up the location so he had to send involuntarily. Him. So at first I had doubts about that, but it actually kind of makes sense. Uh, she, so he passes out. She runs. She goes to the zoo. Uh, and what, he wakes up. Oh, well, while he's out, Monroe is freaking out and going, like, what are you doing? Yes. That all, you know, because they, they're, they're going to change the flight path to, to Atlanta. Or no, from Atlanta, from Atlanta I to think. New York. To New York. Because they, they figure out it's New York. Yeah. And so he wants to call it in, and Khan is going to have nothing of it. He, he needs to give him his performance evaluation right now. <laughs> well, he gives him, I, I like that moment where he shoots, he shoots Monroe. Yes. Because Monroe's asking too many questions. He's like, oh, it's time for your evaluation. And he shoots him and he goes, A-plus, kid. And he looks kind of sad. I actually think like, that's actually kind of a sympathetic moment for, for James Khan's character of just like, I didn't want to have to kill you, kid. You should have kept your mouth shut. You know, but he's saying like A plus, like you were doing everything right. That's why you're di- you're dead. You know See, what I mean? See, I took it the other way though because they needed to frame Kruger, so they knew they were bringing this kid. They they were gonna he was gonna sacrifice this kid to frame Kruger. You think it was that premeditated? Yeah, was... I think I think that's the reason they needed they needed one more guy to to blame. They hmm. they needed something else to hold over Kruger, and that was gonna be it. That could be. I didn't think about that. So I mean that's the way I took it. I actually took it the opposite. It was making Khan even more of an unlikable. That was premeditated. They were going to sacrifice. Yeah, the, just that guy. the way the way James Khan read that line though, of like he had, he had kind his of a deli- sadness. Yeah, to it. no, his delivery. You're right. Then yeah, he wakes back up and they just let him kind of march around and they got guns on him. They've yes. taken his gun. They have got guns trained on him. But but they they do set it up. If you drop your gun right now, I will not kill you. I mean, it seems like you always have to have this standoff situation. In our, and this was this is leaning more towards John Matrix territory, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a good line. Man. I mean, it's and it's but it's sort of like you know I I promise Sully I'll kill you last, right? I mean he's in these unbelievable you know he's outmanned, outgunned, yeah. but he gives them the the one I'm going to give you this out right now before I kill you. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's a good line. It's the most Arnold moment of at least the most Arnold like line of dialogue. Yes. Uh, but he knows he's got his secret knife in his belt buckle. That's why he's able to get, make that threat. He is able to make that threat, which thank you. I mean, I, probably my favorite con moment is when they've got <laughs> the guns on him and Kruger Arnold throws it. I can't believe you hit me with that cheap mail order piece. Of- <laughs> yep. It was that was my favorite line in this movie. It is a really good line. It almost feels ad libbed. It's hard to say. Yes. Uh, so kudos to James Con on that one. It's my favorite line in the movie. Yeah, so Monroe was number 18, incidentally, and there's a, there's a gunfight, and uh, no one gets hit, and then he, he throws a chair out the window and makes the engine, goes right into the jet engine. Yes, I don't know if you had this, but uh, I had it, 5432, another spotting of Arnold face. Yes, and, oh, you know what, while I was watching it the first time, I went like, I need to remember, and then I forgot to notate it. You're, yes. No, thank, f- thank you for bringing it up. It's, yes, 5432, you get, and it's a lot, you get a couple of sequences here, but... It, in particular, fifty four thirty two. I had Arnold face. When he's hanging out the side of the the, yes. the the plane. Yeah, that's that's a great moment for Arnold face. So what you then have is there's some more gunfire, and there's only one parachute, 
and it goes out, and Arnold, of course, goes out after it. You think he does that intentionally, or does he just lose his grip? I, I'm not. I I, I, well, I think he went out after it because he knew he couldn't get back in because he was outgunned if he went back in. So he's like, "Well, I'm just going to commit to this, and I'm going after the parachute." Yeah, that's that's a memorable like shot. I, I I don't think it was in the trailer, but it's one of those things I remember of just him I, letting go of the plane, yeah, and going, going through, through the, the fire. I thought it was in the trailer. That's interesting. That's not because I thought I remembered that from the trailer. Yeah, I thought so too. But I, I found that you know the trailer. At least you found. We it. We do have the trailer it. here if we want to watch it. Uh, uh, later but the- so Arnold goes after the parachute and of course he catches up to it yeah I mean it's it's a uh, very reminiscent of Moonraker considering we're both Bond fans I think yes. Moonraker did this sequence better but it's it's pretty good he goes he catches up to the the parachute he he, he deploys it he deploys it gets it on and then James Conn is not satisfied no he's not and Arnold's not satisfied he's gonna play chicken with a plane Oh yeah, he does. It's he plays chicken with a plane. It's awesome. It's very Jack Slater. It's, it's very Jack Slater, and, he, and I'm glad you mentioned that this like it was sort of Commando. That Kruger is sort of John Matrix because you're right. I hadn't thought about it. If this thing, this, Eraser should have just committed to a 1996 Commando because when you think about it, he plays chicken with a plane and he wins. He does. I didn't. I didn't think about it in those terms, but you're right. He is playing chicken. It's I mean, there's not much parachute versus plane, and he wins. Yeah, but I mean, in, in reality, in his defense, in Kruger, the character's defense, there's not much he can do, right? I mean, he can't right. jump out of the parachute. But in terms of the setup, I mean, this is awesome. In terms of a like fun '80s action movie, he plays chicken with a plane and wins. Yep, he's, he's and this is post Last Action Hero. But I mean, Danny Madigan would have absolutely <laughs> loved the fact that. John Kruger plays chicken with an airplane, and the good guy wins. Yeah, he he, he psychs out Sully Sullenberger, and he can't. He just, yes, <laughs> the, thank you. That, that guy cannot. Uh, he, he chickens out at the last minute, which is crazy. And so, so he gets wrapped up in the parachute, but he manages to cut he it free. Of course, and, manages to then get deploy the second parachute right before he's landing in a junkyard. Yep. Uh, which leads to maybe my favorite line in this, this movie, or the, my favorite, favorite exchange, where he goes, "Where is this?" And the little girl. The little girl is great. Earth. Welcome. <laughs> it's a great line. Uh, so it he, is a great line. The only thing that I don't think is great is that as this goes on and he's looking to get a vehicle, I, the kids sell their dads. <laughs> yeah, those kids are in big trouble. They're in big trouble, but I, Kruger's completely taken advantage. He's a U.S. Marshal. Why doesn't he just commandeer it? He's giving... I know it was, I think, supposed to be for com- comic relief. Right. But his delivery, 50 bucks, it just, none of, it's just, I, I didn't like it at all. He takes advantage of these kids, and he, he's a police officer. He should be able to just commandeer the vehicle. He doesn't need to hoodwink these kids. Yeah, part of me got some some morbid satisfaction out of watching this, uh, this like, record lot guy get, get to basically taken advantage of, considering my line of work, I... I'm so sick of dealing with record lots and impound lots. Like they're all well, they're all crooks. They're, they're, a lot of them are crooks. I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but uh, I enjoy. It. I just enjoyed just kind of like, hey, my truck. He's just chasing, the- <laughs> shaking his uh, shake shaking his a, fist, shake on a boy. Uh, like uh, yes, like like a Shelby Shelby Villian yes. for a Simpsons fan. Uh, yeah, so there it's a race to get to Lee and to get to the it's a race to get to Lee. Here's the biggest problem I have with this, and one of the biggest problems I have with the movie is that. Somehow they can trace that pager and find out there were only three women getting into cabs in New York City. Well, that, and even if they could get the, the area, I, I, even if they could pin it down to like a few blocks. Yeah, I think they had. I think they had, they had the time pinned down. Okay, to like a, a, like, it is New York <laughs> City. Yeah, it is. Do you know how many sink? I mean, I don't know the numbers. I can't say that I 
Well, no. they, they did pair. I mean, they pared down the, the location, they pared down the time, and they, they pared it down to only single women or like, it's women alone getting, just getting a, ta- a cab alone. If if and I know maybe there was a reason they didn't go further and go with race because maybe they want to play up you know a, a, a racial aspect. Sure, but for the plausibility, they should have because I'm telling you, New York City single women getting into cabs, even if you have it down to a you know a couple block radius, there's a lot of women. Getting into cabs. Well, I was going to say, I don't know if cab drivers track the race of their passengers like in a database, but maybe considering the way like, some people feel about cabbies. Well, and the other thing, <laughs> too, is that they got people. to these cab companies that fast and had that data. I, it just was not very plausible. Oh, right. That's, but that's true also. Whatever. You needed to get them there, fine. I'll, I'll get it. So now we, we have them swarming on the zoo. <laughs> well, this is one, another one of his ninja moves where he drives his tow truck up. They immediately start shooting at him. And then... The tow truck crashes. They riddle it with bullets. And, he, he's, and disappeared. He's, he's disappeared. Yeah. How, when did that happen? How did he jump out of this car? How did he jump out? And then how did he get away undetected? But yes, Ninja, Ninja Arnold has appeared yeah. again. Yeah, I, I wrote down, I think James Conn's getting a, a lot of enjoyment out of shooting up this car, considering he's it's turnabout from the guy. I was just going to, that was the, I, I wondered if they had, they put it in there for that, because that's immediately what I thought is, Sonny finally gets his revenge, but it's on a tow truck. He gets to be on the other end of that exchange, yes. for sure. Uh yeah, so then she sneaks into the the uh, reptile house. Yes, Arnold bursts in, and I, to me, this is another one. I'm pretty sure that that line was for the the trailer of traffic. Traffic, yeah. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where it's like this movie has a lot of lines like that where they're not quite puns. It's just like they're they're not very good. He's just describing what it's just that's you know over explaining. Yeah, it's just a dumb joke. Uh yes, yeah, so but he, Arnold, t- I have a body count there for one of those guys with uh, with the Desert Eagle when he comes in with traffic. He dives in, he shoots a guy with the Desert Eagle, and then the, the Gators do the rest of the work. So yes, I, I would assume you want to spend a little time on the Gators. Well, the CGI is terrible. I mean, it's but, some of the worst CGI I, I've ever seen, and it's almost it just felt like they wanted to because sh- CGI was just kind of coming into its own. Yeah, and this is actually maybe the point where I want to kind of talk about it a little bit because I had another topic of why this is kind of. Arnold's, I think, last, we'll call it, commercial success out, outside of the Terminator movies. Because uh, this was a box office hit for him. This was like a top 10. I don't, I don't, it was a top 10 grossing for 1996. Wow, I didn't know it was that big. But so I, I think that 96 is kind of a point where, an inflection point where action movies were starting to change. And the CGI is a good segue because 96 is also Independence Day. Right. And that's a movie where... There, I mean, Will Smith is an action star. Will Smith was kind of, he had Men in Black, but he was more of kind of a, a comedy. Yeah, action comedy. Action comedy star. But Independence Day is really a movie where the technology and the CGI becomes more important in action movies and what they can do that they can turn, not big muscular guys like, you know, Van Damme was, was a kickboxer. Stallone was muscular. Schwarzenegger was muscular. Once CGI came around, didn't matter. You could turn like Steve Rogers, right? You you can CGI everything into little tiny guys into big muscular guys and vice versa. Yeah. But yeah, it's all like Robert Downey Jr. is not someone you'd be like, that guy is you, like... You got exactly there, right? Yeah. W- when we evolve in action movies to the Marvel Universe, you can go cast Robert Downey Jr. He's not a big muscular guy into becoming an action star. Well, even, uh, you know, the 90s is when Nicolas Cage became a big action star. It's like, Nicolas Cage, if he, in the 80s, he, he could never have... <laughs> nope, absolutely. So, right, the, the, the other other ones kind of on the list of 
the movies of who, you know, Harrison Ford, but Harrison Ford had an established track record of at least being an action star from other movies. Yeah. But I distinctly remember in 96 and 97, this run of disaster action movies. Twister was the one, and it was around the same time that really it was a huge runaway hit. Yeah, yeah. And that they started to say, man, we can have these. And you had a bad run there for a while when you and I were at school together, and I had this idea. I'm like, I got so tired of, because you had... Twister, Daylight, Hard Rain, Volcano. So many of these that went in 96, 97, and when you got to 98 with Hard Rain, I remember talking to you in school. I'm like, I'm going to write a movie, and it's going to be called Humidity. And it's just going to be outrageously humid out, and people are looking for lemonade, because I was so tired of disaster movies. And that was a run for a while. But then, you know, CGI really then, because the, the, after Twister, you had a run there. I remember Hard Rain was the one I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> I, I remember your, your pitch for humidity from, from back then, but I don't remember. I didn't remember that Hard Rain was the thing that triggered it. Oh, it was. Christian I, Slater, and, and that was like a robbery disaster movie combined with Christian Slater. It was bad, too. Yeah. So that, that did peter out, which was good, the disaster action. But what wound up coming then is you really then have then CGI franchises coming into their own. Because you start to get The Mummy where Brendan Fraser is an action star. But then you then also have the re-establishment of the Star Wars franchise, and those are really, really heavy CGI. Ewan McGregor, I mean, you don't need big, bulky action guys for those movies to be successful. You need computer graphics. Well, but those were never action movies. The originals didn't have, you know, they they didn't have action stars. No, but I guess what I'm saying is the the reason why I think that Arnold's career from 96, when when these other movies he was taking on, there wasn't, those weren't the movies being made. Because when you fast forward into the 2000s, you start to get the trilogies. You start to get the franchises of The Lord of the Rings, The Matrix, yeah. where Keanu Reeves is an action star because of CGI. Yeah. And then you then start you start to get the beginnings of the Marvel movement of X-Men and Spider-Man. So I guess to me, I wanted to kind of get this out there. There's, I think, a distinct reason why Arnold's movies take a different track is that I think the action world changed. And CGI was the big reason that the action world changed. Not necessarily for better or for worse, but I don't think you can ever go back to those 80s and 90s action movies because you don't need the big muscular guys anymore. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, you know, I think it's less... When you, when you live in a world where you can CGI anything, then kind of nothing becomes impressive. Like it's a weird thing where even the dumb thing... you know, We're kind of half kidding when we talk about how much we love Arnold carrying a log. But still, like, you know that Arnold is strong and he's actually carrying something big and heavy, even if it's like a prop log. It's still, I'm sure, really heavy. Whereas when you can CGI anything you want, then it basically just invalidates you know, anything. I think you're right. That, 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 the CGI coming in is the, the turning point. Yeah, in, in his career. So I, this was kind of the point in the movie where I thought it made the most sense um, to kind of discuss. But that was, that was one of my big takeaways from this. I think that those two, the, the little mini run of disaster movies... Hurt his career, and and then kind of the the CGI, and then the franchises, and the Terminator franchise isn't like the Lord of the Rings or the Matrix, where they were all so compressed and right together, where you can then springboard and do other stuff. They had been spread out so far, and I, I think that really impacted his career. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, part of it was just him getting older, but I think that's a that that had a huge impact for sure. Well, this movie especially because these these alligators. I think I think filmmakers in 1996 hadn't quite figured out what the limitations of CGI were, or at least limit the limitations of 90s CGI. Because although I don't know, I mean the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park look good, but generally speaking, living things didn't look very good. Didn't look good in CGI. So like 
you know, you're talking about Independence Day. They were at least smart enough to know when you actually see the aliens, they were puppets, you know, yep. or whatever they were. They were physical things. They were not CGI. No, because so, it wasn't there yet. They right. they saved their CGI for the buildings. and they, <laughs> So these alligators look so terrible. They're so terrible. And what this is one of those missed opportunities. This could have been one of the best lines of his career. And all you get is your luggage. Your luggage. How yeah. could you not go with the obvious? See you later, alligator. How could you not have that? I mean, to me, that is just so... And even if you, you could have done it where the first one is when he's making escape and shooting to get the crocodiles out there. See you later, alligator. Pulls the trigger, and there's a ripping the guys apart. After a while, crocodile. I mean, it would have been so great. Yeah, you're right. Such a missed opportunity, because your luggage is just not good. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I, I, that didn't even occur to me. You're saying it's obvious, but see you later, oh, alligator. Really? I didn't even think about it. But the, you're, the, it's when I rewatched this, I'm like, this could have been one of my favorite Arnold lines of all time. It's such a great pun for our podcast. See you later, alligator. <laughs> After a while, crocodile. You're right. That is a huge missed opportunity. I mean, it's just not that kind of movie, unfortunately. Up no. to this point, we still are on pun zero. We have not had a pun no. yet. I mean, he's got a couple of you know lines like your luggage, but not not any puns really. Right. So the the bad CGI gators. I'm not sure. Does they they get three guys on my body count? Yeah. So and then so my question is: Does the gator count on the body count? No, I, I'm not counting animals, although unless you really think we should be counting. No, that's that's fine. I just because he, he did get a gator. Arnold used his last bullet efficiently. Well, my note was because uh, in the next scene, uh, James Coburn shows up and he kind of has an exchange with James Caan about like what happened, and he says, "How many casualties?" And uh, James Caan says, three of my men. Kruger took them out like that, cold." Neither one of those statements is true. Four guys died, and Kruger only killed one of them. The the, the alligators killed the other three. So. Uh, you know, yeah, he's I, not as good at this body count stuff as we are. I think, <laughs> he got well, he kills so many people; it's really hard to keep track. <laughs> he killed a lot of people. So, so then uh, Arnold John Kruger calls Coburn. Well, can, can we uh, just the exchange between Coburn and uh, and James Conn of just sure? He says, uh, "Bring him back alive," and then James Conn gives the funniest look. I don't know if you remember that look. I do remember that look, and there there's a, there's another co- there well. There, there's another look that I love later on in the movie. James Conn is also, he's, he's maybe getting a little broad and a little hammy, but uh, he's having fun with this movie. Yeah, right? I think so. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, back to Arnold. and his, his, his So yeah, Arnold gives uh, Beller, James Coburn, a call. Yeah. And uh, basically what we figure out is that Arnold's on his own. Big, big surprise. This he's is where right. we learn Daguerre's name. This yes. is, we're this deep into the movie. He goes, Daguerre's the mold. Yes. Okay. And uh, so ultimately, he's going to have to go get some hard physical evidence. Yep. And uh, we learned that uh, her friend, the reporter, was killed off screen. So yes. That's 23. Pe- peeled like an onion. Oh, <laughs> really? Is that what he said? Ooh, I didn't, didn't no, know. No, because this isn't where you learn it. You mean the, the reporter? Yeah, the reporter. No, you get that way back when they're getting on the plane. Because either Schiff or Calderon says. Oh, she was peeled like an onion. I think I, it was Calderon that said it. I missed that line, yeah, so I, 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 I have it here. But uh, yeah, she, 23 is, I'm, I'm counting her, even though okay. she's off screen. That's fine. Uh, yeah, and then... Luckily, said, he has another witness that he can go call upon. <laughs> Father Rodriguez. Yep. Again, he's got a very high concentration of where he, he stashes these witnesses. It's, it, he must have, like, you know, like dozens, if not hundreds. Like, you'd think he, he should just call them all in. Like, he calls, he, he goes and he gets, in a minute, he's going to get Johnny to help him out. Like, why, why stop at Johnny? Why, why not ask Father build, Rodriguez to help right, out? And, build, uh, build your own army, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he does later, but uh, a very different... He, he ends up recruiting those, those mob guys. Like, we may as well just recruit Bring everybody guys. you can. Yeah, you already know. 
Uh, so yeah, she she says she, this is where she reveals that she has the disc, right? And yes, she she says, I I he goes, we have to find out what's on this disc, and she says, I tried. It's completely hacker proof. You tried for like ten seconds. <laughs> you tried for like ten seconds. You put it in and said, I'm gonna go make myself something to eat. Yeah, so anyway, they, they need to get it back. They need to. They can only read the disc in the Yes, the so office. what I took from this, and this is a movie that when I went to look, I wanted to see, since this was a, a pretty successful movie um, for the year, I wanted to see, sort of like I've done on other ones, what else came out that year. Okay. M- Mission Impossible is on the list of 1996, and uh, there's not as many parallels between Mission Impossible and Eraser as there are between Rain Man and Twins. But when I saw that, I, I had the list. I'm like, oh, Mission Impossible, this is essentially the same thing. I need to break into this, only this one specific place yeah. to get the information. It's very Mission Impossible. Uh, that's, that's more like they need to steal a list, right? Yes. They they're, they're, he's, he's stealing something that he's breaking <laughs> Whereas into. Whereas this, they have the information they just need to use of one particular computer. One terminal is the only place they can do so it. it. It is much lamer. Yeah, Mission Impossible does this so much better. Yes. Uh, so, so then um, they they need he he needs Johnny's help. He need, he needs Johnny's help. So they, I'm not sure why it has to be Johnny and it can't be Father Rodriguez. What is how does he even? Because Johnny helps out. He's posing as the pizza guy. That's right. Why can't you know? Why can't it be a different different food being delivered by Father Rodriguez? <laughs> yeah, why does it have to be Johnny? You're right. It literally could have been anybody. He's not yes. providing. I mean, later he happens. To it, know, his cousin just yes, happens to just run the dog. So happens. But yes, in terms of at least right now in this movie, why does it have to be? I like Johnny. I, I don't mind getting more some more Johnny. But yeah, there's there's no reason that it has to be Johnny. That's a really good point. But anyway, he's he's Johnny's working at this uh, gay bar that has valet parking. Valet parking. I, what I loved is that Homer Simpson's favorite song on the jukebox in Moe's is playing <laughs> "It's Raining Men." Yeah, it's a little bit cliche. Like, oh, it's cliche and over the top. And here's the thing: is you know this is a 1990s action movie. Yeah, I think I this definitely makes it a 1990s action movie because all of this stuff I don't think would be done today or it would not be played up nearly as much it's pushing it but i don't think it, it i don't think it goes beyond any kind of lines like it's it's fine he goes in and, and uh, johnny's there bartending alongside a career crashed john crier did you notice those john john crier no, i did not he, notice that he has like one line he's like oh he looks rough or whatever he says that's oh. john john crier career like do you want to talk about his career just being well it wasn't over because i mean he rebounds with two and a half men I oh mean, no he definitely rebounded but yeah. this is like the complete nadir of that guy's the, the, this is the trough yeah like even he even after like his hot shots movies he couldn't even get like that kind of a, a i completely missed that thank he's, you he's got like two lines yeah, that's john crier um so yeah he, he, pull, he pulls out johnny and he needs his help to break into cyrez yes we're i'm not sure again why it has to be johnny um uh, but and and johnny is apparently a big history buff because he pull he has the most amazing pull where he says to break into there, you need a set of balls the size of the King of Bayonne. <laughs> the King of Bayonne? That was pretty random. That, that had to be, there was just some writer that wanted that in there. <laughs> I guess so. It was like, what a, what a strange pull. Uh, meanwhile, James Conn has a meeting with the undersecretary. And, oh, not just any meeting, though. I have it. It's in a limo. Oh, that, right. it's, you know that these, these are high-powered, important, evil men because they're, they're, their meeting is in a limo. Yep. Pe- so Pepper, the undersecretary, has a line that's just so hammy and bad. I don't blame the actor, but it's bad writing. He's the disc, the girl, the guns. By dawn, they don't exist. It's so bad and such it's a, just, just a, a line rem- of its time. Well, it's just to remind the audience what this movie is about. Yes. I, I just had so lame. It's just, And again, I don't think it's the actor necessarily that it's bad. It's just bad writing. It's not good. No. It's, 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 yeah, you're right. This, this movie is not well written at all. 
Uh, they're going to break into Cyrez. They steal they steal this ambulance, which you would think would raise some kind of a red flag. You'd think James Conner would be like, well, an ambulance was stolen. Maybe we should watch out for an ambulance. You, yeah, again, Especially considering he trained him. Arnold's been breaking a lot of laws and is able to make this ambulance go missing, but okay. Yeah, well, it's another missed opportunity of just like you would think James Conn, it would be like, what you want this to be is a battle of wits. James Conn trained John... Right, he's a mentor. Yeah, and so you'd think he'd know all of his tactics. He'd know, he knows what to expect. He knows, you know, and it should be this cat and mouse thing of just like, oh, I think... This is his plan to infiltrate, but no, it's it's a ruse. And yeah, he, no, it, 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 their plan is really very straightforward, and it works perfectly. And it's not very, it's not a creative break in. Like no. this needs to be like a fun heist kind of a thing, and it's just not. And it's, it's not. And when what you get with Khan at Cyrus, he completely lays out in dialogue how difficult this is going to be. Not just Khan, but everybody. Oh, this is what needs to be done. And oh, there's only one room, and there's two, you know, security guards with machine guns. Right. It's completely laid out in dialogue and it, not it very good. turns out to not to be true. Like you, you, The Mission Impossible comparison is interesting because that movie does a great job. Like That's the best sequence in that movie, no yeah, question. Sure. Yeah. And it lays out perfectly, here are the things that are in our way. There's these laser beams that are blocking the, the grate and then you can't touch the floor and there's a temperature and there's sound and there's all these things they need to watch out for. And he's constantly trying to balance like, oh, he's, he's losing his balance so he can't, but he can't make a sound and the sweat is dripping, etc. Right. It's great. It's like, that's an amazing sequence and you understand exactly what he needs to do and what he can't do, etc. Here, they, they lay out this whole thing. They need to get into this room. I mean, really, it's just they need to get into this one particular clean room and use the disc there. And then that turns out to not even be true. It's true. Just, I just know. go it's, and use a different computer. It's completely nonsense. You were right. Donahue left himself a back door. Back door. Uh, yeah, so they use they use Donnie's back door. They go up to his yeah. Office. So we skipped a little bit. So Johnny shows up with a pizza. All right, I mean, Robert Pastorelli. I you know he's. He's he's hamming it up a little bit. You're right. We did skip that, and then we get our comedy defibrillation scene. Yeah, which I, <sighs> the worst. It it it's bad. I, the, from the the Alka Seltzer being able to you know look like foaming at the mouth and having a seizure. I'm not sure that that's true. So then the defibrillation scene, which is just really really bad in terms of plausibility. That one. Why does Cyrez? Why do they have EMTs? Why do they have an infirmary in the first place? They're like a little government to themselves. Yeah, I, apparently they are a government to themselves. But then, whoever they've trained, they have not hired the right people because the first thing you're supposed to do is check for a pulse. Not only does he have a pulse, he's speaking. Right. Why would you be wailing on him? He very clearly I, does not need to be defibrillated. No. Like his heart has not stopped. No. I mean, I know it's for comedic effect because Robert Passarelli's character is the comic relief in this uh, in this movie, but completely nonsensical. Yes, yeah, so that's that's their plan. Is he fakes a seizure? They take him to the infirmary. They call an ambulance, and then uh, Arnold and, uh, and Vanessa Williams show up in, in an ambulance, pretending to be EMTs. Which does he reroute the call? Thank like, you. <laughs> I, <laughs> shouldn't another ambulance be showing up? Absolutely. I mean, I've been. I've certainly watched, you know, other movies where, you know, they have to cut in, right? I mean, well, it's in Ocean's Eleven they do this. Oh, that's they're right. Like, Thank you. Ocean's Eleven where they have to override 911. Yes. Right. He, he, he like, redirects the call and he answers as if he's 911. Yeah, because a real ambulance would show up otherwise. Right. And then Brad Pitt shows up in that wig and pretends yes. to be a doctor. So, like, that's, I mean, I, I don't want to say Ocean's Eleven stole it from this because, like, they did it way better and, like, it's, you know. Well, yeah, they, it makes more sense. Like they, they thought it through. They this thought movie it through because through. the real nine one one operator. You're right. A real ambulance would show up. <laughs> Make no sense at all. Yeah, and as soon as that happened, the, the, I mean, they'd be done. And I don't know, whatever. They're, they get up to Donahue's office. They use his computer. Uh, <laughs> like the, the moment where they're they're going through all the files, like the bank. They're tracking all the banking files, and she says, 
I think he says like UBS, and she goes, "Yeah, the United Bank of Syria." No, she doesn't say Syria. She does. Say, you, are you sure? Sure, I'm pretty sure. I, I think this is another one of those things that the lawyer is not clearing because well, because UBS screen, is, is well, right? Yeah, it's obviously a real bank. But she, UBS shows up on the screen, and I, I I wonder if maybe what happened is like UBS got wind of it and went like gave them the no. We are not going. To, you're not going to say that you know arms dealers are money are, laundering right, through exactly. our bank. I'll bet that's what happened because she's. I, I'm I'm pretty sure. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure she goes. Yeah, UBS, the United Bank of Syria. As to try try to look like, no, not that UBS. No, 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 not the not not the one you think it is. I could be wrong, but I thought that's what she said. Uh, so what I didn't here's the thing I didn't understand about the disc. I love that Arnold's just kind of like banging away on keys. I like the idea of a hacker movie with Arnold for some reason. I think that would be a lot of fun. It would be. I agree. Um, but I want to know why they're doing this arms deal. I understand the stuff that's on the disc, the schematics of the the weapons. There's a picture of. Who's yeah. buying the guns? Why would he be on there? Yeah, like, there's no reason. There's no reason. It's like a link to his Facebook page. Yes, or there's no reason why the, the who the buyer would be on that disc. Yeah, that is strange. Really, really bad writing. It's just so you'll know when he shows up in the movie in a minute. Who he is. Yeah. I, I understand why, but there had to be a better way of establishing that. Well, the thing, because again, this is where, like we said earlier, it's a $52 million deal, and they're moving 1,000 units. So, so, Which leads me to understand that if I wanted to buy an ultimate weapon railgun... It would only cost me fifty two grand. Fifty two thousand does not seem like a lot of money for no, this thing. No, for new prototype weapons. So the the uh, eventually the cat and mouse game. They figure it out that they've there's this back door and their in house security is coming. Well armed in house security is coming to storm it. Yeah. What I love is that somehow you have been erased shows up on yeah. the computer. Yeah. Who did that? So who did that? And how do they know he's the eraser? So bad. <laughs> so bad. Yeah, it is. So then um, what I had is that now he's, he's destroyed the, the, the PC to just take the disc out, and it says, you have, been, you have just been erased. Yeah. The guards storm in. I've got it at an hour, 22, and 40. Two guards come in. One completely disappears. Because Arnold gets in this fight. He throws an office chair at the one guy. It's, yep. you know, it's actually a, a, a pretty good like, real action sequence in terms of like a stuntman. Really, that chair really hits him. Yeah. But one of those guards, he doesn't kill him, at least by, by mine. You're he right. just disappears. Where does that guard go? You're right. Now that I'm thinking it through, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, that guard completely disappears. Yeah. But the other guard definitely, he, he disappears in a different way. Yes. <laughs> he, gets, he, he has grenades, which, like, like, these are guys, they're, they're like, granted, this is a weapons manufacturer, but they're just security guards. They're he's just got, security guards. He's got grenades. And Arnold pulls the pin on the grenade. So, and, so now that I'm thinking about it, you know what? Maybe this is the type of security guard Hans Gruber was thinking about, you know, that you'd be too pesky to be a security guard in Die Hard, right? <laughs> right. Is that j- these security guards are like John McClane, but they're even better armed than John McClane because they've got hand grenades. Yeah, which, which turns out to be a bad idea because yes. uh, he pulls the pin on the grenade, he pushes him back in the elevator. I had four... Th- I had four guys. In four the guys in the elevator plus him. That's five. Yeah, yes. And then he, then Arnold. There's a guy. I, I had a note saying there's a guy hiding behind a fern that he just. Oh, I, I did not realize it was a fern. Nice catch. So that's so six guys die here. But you're right. Yep. One maybe maybe the guy hiding behind the fern turned out to be the guy who was missing. Then but, he was a coward and ran and hid behind the fern for a while. <laughs> I think maybe he was. Uh, yes, yeah, so this is where like those crazy security doors come down. Yes, and uh, James Conn shows up and takes her captive. Yes, he he shoot he, he does figure out to uh, shooting the glass doesn't work, but shooting the sprinklers uh, gets the doors to lift up. Sets off the fire alarm, all the doors go up. 
But he's too late. The guy, James Conn has escaped on a helicopter. Yes, but Arnold gets one more guy. He does get one more guy. He gets one more guy snapping his neck. He's just, he, he just there to be killed. He doesn't yes. even really attack. He's just, he just basically just kind of comes around the corner. Comes around Arnold, the corner to be grabbed and have his neck broken. Arnold's like, a guy, I'll just I'll kill him. <laughs> I need <laughs> to add to my body count. I'll just assume you're a bad guy. What are we at on the body count? Uh, we're at 30 right now. Okay. So then, uh, luckily... Johnny is still there, and Johnny is going to be useful because Johnny just happens to have a cousin who runs the docks in Baltimore. His cousin is Frank Sabatka. Is, thank you. Yeah, you beat me to it. That Frank Sabatka in the wire. I had to. I had to do it. Um, <laughs> and so they're going to drive down to Baltimore because it is the Baltimore docks where Frank Sabatka. You know, in a few years, Frank and, and the the stevedores will be running it. But right now, the mob runs. That's it. true. It's a few years later. Yes. That's from the wire. In case yes, for, that, it is a great reference. Thank you. So the stevedores were, are going to and their union. Somehow the, the, the Polish guys, they're going to rise up and, and kick the Italian mob out in the wire. Maybe this is the event, like this big gunfight. Yeah. The feds start looking into this the dock. The feds start looking into the dock and Tony Two-Toes can't control the, uh, the docks anymore. Uh, it's, it's, so you do, I do like that uh, we, get, we get Johnny coming back from the dead. I did like Tony Two-Toes, uh, who's the tree trunk. I did, I did yeah. appreciate. It's a pretty good line. Uh, and then I also appreciate the international terrorists... They pick up their own guns. I mean, so, the, you know, the, the head of this organization, he's coming himself to pick up his own weaponry. It's a very important arms deal. He has to oversee. You know, he's, he's, a, you know, he's a micromanager. He needs to see everything. Yeah, he's a very hands-on guy. Which I find, you know, interesting because the, the first we did, uh, Benedict gets sent. He, he, he sends the flunky. Benedict is the one who gets sent. The, the top of the mob, he, he wanted nothing. He needed to establish his alibi. Do we know for a fact he's the top of the mob? Maybe he is the flunky. It's hard. I'm not sure if that's ever... What, established? No, I, th- I thought he, he's here, the head of the Russian mob. I thought he was the head, yes. Okay, well, either he, way. Because Arnold knows who he is. John Kruger knows who he is. That's true. He does, yeah, he does recognize him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it leads us into our final action sequence, which uh, the, we meet the Russian, the, the head of the Russian mafia. I forget his name, the, the character's name. But, yeah, um, well, Arnold, Arnold calls Beller, throws the phone down. So oh, right. It'll Coming. bring... Of course, the cavalry in all of these action movies comes after all of the carnage <laughs> right. has already comes way too late. He, yes. he doesn't even need to do anything. He, he he should just be waiting for the cavalry instead. He's like, "I'm going to do this myself." Right. I, I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger. And all the the gunfire and the fires, people will just naturally come to come to. I did like the shot of him like marching to war. He's call he calls Beller and he's got his. Uh, I was calling him in my notes the cannoli commandos. Yes, but uh, is that is that offensive? Should I not be doing that? No, that's fine. <laughs> but. Uh, like they're all just marching. He's like this tough dude, and it's just, just mob guys. It's like kind of like overweight dudes. Like we're gonna go to war. Uh, anyway. Yeah. So they got you know they got their they don't keep guns. They're, they're the mob, but they got baseball bats. They they know how to break some skulls, but they don't. They need to go get some weapons. Well, they're the honorable mafia. Like it's yes. interesting the way this movie. The, the, like, the Italian mafia is the good guys. The Russian mafia is the bad guys. Yes, and they, by the way, I, I in my notes I had the Italian mafia beats out the Russian mafia. <laughs> they do. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, eventually they get guns. Yes. They, they you know, they they start off just with uh, baseball and bats and brass knuckles. Yeah, I do like that big, uh, tiny whatever little tiny, Mike, little Mike, and he's say it ain't so. Like, that that actor is actually, I'm enjoying his performance. I hear you're not using bona fide union <laughs> labor. <laughs> I yeah. I mean, I know all of this was for 
the comic release, yeah, and, and I I liked most of it. I, I thought, yeah, I thought he was funny. Yes, Gen- like Gen- it was intended to be comedic and successful. Yes. One of the few things that was intentionally comedic. And little Mike no- knew the difference between communists and, and the <laughs> yeah. Confederation of Liberated States. Yeah, that, that, don't I make enjoy- me hurt you, Mikey. I enjoyed that too. Uh, yeah, the movie should have been about these guys, like the comic mafia, like, kind of like inept, well, and, inept middle management. Well, and Tony Tutos, you know, a little bit is because I mean his other famous movie. He was the mob boss in Analyze This, and I and probably Analyze That as well. Oh wow, yeah, and that, that's was, the only other thing I recognize them from. Now that you mention it, so I, I think you know maybe that's the reason why it works a little bit is because he's a funny guy. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Russian mob guy has uh, Lee tied up on the bridge. Yeah, and she in the, the the maybe maybe he should get a more solid chair to tie her you, up. You on. would think yes, he would check that chair. And she hits him in the face with the coffee maker. And this is pre Krups or uh, curing um, cure, curing cups, so you actually have a real right. carafe that's right. made of glass, a piece of glass. But just the idea of just like I want to gloat over this girl, but I also want some coffee. Give me some coffee. <laughs> put it next to the girl. Put, put it. Yes, I need it convenient. <laughs> it's just right next to her, so she can hit him in the face with it. So uh, I have it, but you, we we did, we are a little remiss. We got a couple of bodies here that are stacking up quickly because you got Ninja Arnold shows up again in this sequence where he does. This is Ultimate Ninja Arnold. Ultimate sure. Ninja. I mean, I don't even know how many flips he does in that sequence. What, wrote, two, three. I wrote down. He did, he did a triple Lindy. A triple <laughs> Lindy. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. From uh, back to school. Well, these guys he just beats up. I don't know if he kills these two guys. I wrote well, I, he doesn't. But what I'm saying is, when he gets into that warehouse, is where we don't oh, yeah. we, we got to get those bodies. In particular, you never want to pick up John Kruger's shotgun. That is a mistake. Yeah, he, he flips over those guys, beats them up, and then he sneaks into this warehouse. Yes. Uh, the X-ray snipers spot him and start shooting at him, and uh, completely miss dozens and dozens of times. I wrote down. Remember, this is this. These weapons are, are ushering the new in a world whole, of terrorism. whole new era of terrorism. They cannot hit Arnold at all. And Arnold's kind of a big target. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot to hit on Arnold. I mean, they blow up the whole warehouse, basically. He gets a, <laughs> he gets a piece of shrapnel through the leg. Yeah, and that's, this is the other one. Like You talked about his gun hand healing so quickly with a pretty major wound. Yeah. It's a huge, gaping wound. Yeah, it is. And it's completely glossed over in the rest of these action sequences. He's gonna I don't sh- even know if he shows a limp in the rest of the action in this Oh, not scene. at all. Not, not at all. And he gets shot in a minute, too, and basically shrugs that off. Like, he's, he's just a machine. Uh, so his shotgun. Oh, well, also before we move on, like the explosions that drive that debris into his leg also perfectly burn off his sleeves to reveal his, his muscles. Oh, I missed that. I am so disappointed in myself. You didn't notice, like from that point forward, he's got no sleeves. He's just you know, he's, it's he's, just his muscles yeah. for the yeah the gun sequence. Perfectly stylishly cuts off his sleeves. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, it is actually like I can't. I'm not. Gonna, I'm not complaining because it's perfect. Like it's yeah. yeah. Yes, that's the kind of movie I want to see. Uh, so his shotgun is not functioning, so he throws it away in frustration. And as I said, don't pick up his shotgun. That is a mistake. Yeah, Add to the body count Sniper right there. kills one of their own guys. Cause, uh, and that guy's way smaller than Arnold. Like That's a big mistake to make. Yes. The sniper thinks it's Arnold. So then what I had, too, is he's, he's struggling with this shrapnel. The other guy who's going in to check the warehouse to make sure they got him, he just walks up, and he's literally within, like, three feet of a shrapnel Arnold. And Arnold takes the shrapnel and just stabs him. Stabs him with that it. That guy is a terrible henchman. He's awful. He's within three feet of him, and he can't see him or well, smell him. Well, just and the idea that I mean, these guys have X-ray scopes. Well, the two guys that are 
checking it out don't have the X-ray scopes. Well, sure, but oh, yeah, no, they do because they're that's how he gets their weapons. You're right, he does. Eventually, they do. I think I think the two he he kills the two guys who come in, right? Well, the one guy gets sniped by his own guy. That's right. No, and then he right. stabs the guy with the shrapnel. Stabs the guy with the shrapnel, so and then the two guys they sent in are now dead. So now the snipers come in. Yes, and and, uh, and Arnold ninjas through the floor. Yeah, that's that's a cool shot though. I, you know that that shot, I will put that up against any like action shot of any Arnold movie. Burst him through the floor. Well, first he shoots guys through the, through the floor, up yes. through the floor. Then, Two more. Those guys don't make it. Yeah, there's 33 and 34 is those guys. And then he bursts through the floor, that I, grabs I their rail guns, and just goes to town. Yes. I mean... It's great. It is a great action sequence. Him bursting through the floor. I had missed that they had his sleeves burn off perfectly so he could just pick up these two massive guns yep. and just start firing at will. <laughs> it's like a battleship. Just firing at will, not looking. He is just going to wreak havoc. And that's the thing is, th- these things are sniper rifles, and those two guys using the scopes couldn't hit him at all. Now he's got he's got one in each hand, and he's just he's boop, 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 he is boop. just firing away. He's, he, and he's he's hitting everything. And, he's, and, his, and his is blowing stuff up, you know. And I know that right. you, you've established, but as we said before, with the FBI guys at the very beginning. They were just, you know, burned to a crisp, a window broken. Arnold, as soon as he's fired this thing, things are blown up at will. But just the, the, the fact that these, these guns have been established as, like, the ultimate, like, power, it's, it's almost like, now Arnold's got two of them. It's like the one ring from Lord of the Rings. Like, how can he resist this power? He's going to rule the world with these two guns if we were to believe what this movie is saying. Yes, he's the, he just became the ultimate terrorist. He's the most powerful man on the earth he now. Is, he's the most powerful man in the world. two rail guns. Anyway, so uh, apparently Schiff and Calderon were t- some of those guys who got killed in the sequence. Yes. I, I didn't even... You learned that later. I was like, where were they? I didn't even notice. No, they, they were... I think they were the ones They were that, the two snipers? The two, two guys... Yeah, this, the, the two guys that came in and got killed by Arnold through the floor, through the floor and he floor. picks okay. up their weapon. And then, now I've got where one of the Italian mob, they get the ubiquitous... So cliche, because we talked about this in one of the earlier, the sniper. Now, granted, this sniper rifle is bigger in terms of at least it's a bigger target. But, of course, he gets it right through the rifle scope and kills the railgun sniper up there. I'm like, how many times is this done in a movie? Or not in a movie. How many times has this been done in action movies? We should almost keep a count of those. uh, I mean, it's certainly number two. What was the first? What was the other one? It was in in, uh, Sabotage, right? Yes, it was in Sabotage. That was the previous time we saw this? I can tell you there are many other movies that do it, because we discussed the movie Sniper. Itself, <laughs> right? Uh, saving Private Ryan. There's just so many. So yeah, well, but yeah, well, that's finally they do something because for most of this they're just kind of hiding the, those those uh, mob guys. Yes. They're not really doing much. They have weapons, but they're kind of cowering, letting Arnold, the ultimate terrorist, with his railguns wreak yeah. havoc first. Arnold, Mar- Arnold, meanwhile, is marching out, no cover. He's just he just marches out with his two railguns and is just destroying everything, it's, it's, including four guys in a truck who have only pulled up to get killed because they last maybe five seconds. He runs in front of the truck. He is so not afraid of them. He's in cover. He runs out of cover, runs right in front of the truck. All he has to do is drive straight, and they'll hit him, and he shoots and blows up. Truck flips truck over his head. Truck flips over. Oh, it's the, I mean, this sequence, if, why is this movie not more like this? Like, this, I think this ending action sequence is awesome. Yes, and that truck flipping, that is very, that's John Matrix right there. I mean, that, that yeah. other than the technology, that probably is a scene in Commando when we go back. There probably is some truck of guys that show up, and it flips over and they're all killed because John Matrix has just blown it up. He's John Matrix in that sequence. But I don't even know if in Commando if there's ever a scene where he runs out in front of... He plays chicken again is really what's happening. Yes. He's running, he, he deliberately dr- runs in front of this truck just to blow it up. Uh, it's great. 
Uh, so by the way, so we're up to forty-five now. There've been we've yes, we're gonna skim through a lot of these, but uh, forty-five. Those those guys in that truck are they don't make it. They're on. They they show up for five seconds and they're toast. Uh, meanwhile, uh, James Conn takes uh, Lee hostage. Yeah. So it's, what I had is when he's demanding that John drop the guns. I want to note at a one hour thirty-nine and twenty-five. When he drops it, Arnold just looks annoyed at the. His face is kind of like he's annoyed with something that he's having. Maybe that he's having to drop these awesome guns. <laughs> yeah. It's just his face is he's just got this disgust that he has to get, finally give up these weapons and go hand to hand because he's he, had so much fun blowing stuff up. He's a kid being told to put away his toys. Yes. He, does, he doesn't want to put these, these rail guns down. They're a lot of fun. And, uh, and so now Khan shoots him in the shoulder. Why did he shoot him in the shoulder? Yeah. Like, that's good enough. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He's got, he's got him dead to rights. There's no reason why he should ever let him live. Uh, you know. So now you've got the, the crate going up. Khan's got the hostage. Arnold's now got wound, leg wound from shrapnel, hand wound from drill bit, and now a shoulder wound. I think a lot of this is just to make their fist fight evenly matched. No, just, I, do, I know yeah. why, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. But he should be limping, and he is not limping. He is not showing he is wounded in this running sequence. Where the the five Russians, including Sven, yep. Sven makes an appearance, which was great as a Russian. He gets a close up in this movie. Like he's he, you know he's featured prominently in yes. this movie. And so what I had is we've already talked about it. Is the Russian mob is no match at least at this point uh, in cinema history in 1996. I know you you, you can get uh, a. A history of violence and some other where the Russian mob starts to get played up in terms of being more brutal and gruesome than the Italian mob. But here, yeah. the Italian mob easily mows down the Russian mob. Yeah, very ineffectual, is the, the Russian, uh, these Russian thugs they've got. Yes. So that's, I, I got five is what I that's had. That's what I have also. So All right. That's, that's We're 50. tying out. All right. Yeah. And I, I have uh, my note saying, like, wouldn't this start a war between the Italian mob and the Russian mob? Yes. Because <laughs> clearly these guys, like... It, both sides, after this is over, I think would be pretty, you know, upset. So, I don't know. It, well, yeah, because the Italian mob, that cargo is being moved through their docks, right? Uh, right. Arms to the Russian mob. Right. And the Russian mob, the leader of it just got, you know, eventually is going to be killed. We're, we're not there yet. And a bunch of other guys. So, the Russian mob would assume that the Italian mob had something to do with it and would probably be looking for him. Yeah, you'd think this would be a start of a huge war. Between, yes. I think that he, might actually be an interesting movie. The, yeah, the blowback from... The uh, the mob factions in Eraser. It wouldn't be too bad. I think. I think doesn't the mob, Russian the head of the Russian mob die there? Isn't he one of those five that gets killed by those guys? Is he one? Okay, maybe. Yeah, I think I he know. is. Oh he, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. He, he is. and Sven uh, died side he by and Sven side. Sven died side by side. You're right. For I'm sure. sorry. Uh, so yeah, this fist fight between James Caan and Arnold Schwarzenegger on a cargo on container a, yeah, on a cargo container that's being lifted up and moved around on a crane. I, th- that just that phrase. So if if you would have told me <laughs> yep. that. Fist fight between Arnold Schwarzenegger and James Caan on a cargo container with Vanessa Williams. It seems like you just took a bunch of random names and scene ideas, threw them into a bag, mixed it up, and pulled it out. You spun the wheel of... Uh, it's like that... Uh, the, the skit you told me about on Saturday Night Live. You spin the wheel and you have to come up with a story. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. James Caan, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Vanessa Williams, an action movie about rail guns. Go! Go. You gotta pitch the movie. Uh... Yeah, this 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 fight. I don't know. Like, you got to have the bad guy face the good guy. But and it's funny because I feel like James Conn seems like he's a lot older than Arnold, but he's actually not. But oh, I would have thought he was. That's it's interesting. It, Arnold's forty nine in this movie, which is yeah, he is much older than I thought he was. Exa- wow. Yeah, exactly. And James Conn was fifty six, but still, I mean, obviously, regardless of their biological age, you know, uh, 
they shouldn't have even bothered to have a fist fight between these two guys because no. James Conn is not. Even if you presume that Arnold's character is badly injured, etc., you know, it's not. You're not going to have. You know, no, no one. Like, no one wants to see Arnold Schwarzenegger beat up James Conn. No, and it's interesting because now I'm just thinking to our, our, you know, one where I think that the the villain and the reason why it's one of our favorites, Last Action Hero, Benedict is a great villain. He's smart, yeah. but they don't have that, right? They 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 have them showed up. Sh- showdown together right. but it's with guns I mean that's what Benedict is and well, it would be like in The Running Man if he had a fist fight with uh, Richard, with Daw- yeah. Richard Dawson you yeah. know what I mean like don't even bother like, just, it would be a ridiculous thing to do no. like, this isn't that, that ridiculous but it's, it's in that general yeah. area of just like why even have them fight no and so basically it ends the container gets destroyed a giant door <laughs> winds up on James Conn's character and then in the next scene he's not only is he a lot well you've got where Arnold lifts the door up for him just to show again how strong Arnold is, which I, I actually kind of like. Yeah. James Conn still pulls a gun. Yeah, he tries to be sneaky. It's like, why just leave him there? Why is, why is he trying to help him? But whatever. He's a nice guy. He's, He's a hero. You're right. But the next, next scene, not only has Conn's character survived, he just needs a cane to get around. His legs haven't been crushed by this giant <laughs> container door. Yeah, you'd think he'd be in way worse shape than he is. So what I took it as is maybe it's fair. You've had it where Arnold's had multiple stab wounds, a gunshot wound. He's he's not limping at all, so they're both indestructible. I guess it's fair. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, it's 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 weird because this whole action sequence almost seems to have n- no impact on the story because the, the next scene is there at the at the courthouse, and they're still like, oh, we'll just kill her. We'll still try to kill her, and yeah. if we can kill her, we'll still we'll still be okay. Right. Like <laughs> they're basically saying like. None of that mattered. Like we'll be fine. We'll just yeah, kill the lost one customer. We'll just go back and start selling to somebody else. Yeah, and so uh... so what you have is yeah they're on the courthouse steps. What I wanted to know, I don't know if you have it, but James Coburn at one forty nine fifty three comes on screen and just has a James Coburn smile, huge ear to ear smile. But it makes no sense. It's like they want it's, we just we want James Coburn in this scene, and man, just just smile, and it's a great smile. But I just laughed because it's so nonsensical why it's in the movie. What was this that time code? I thought I had one forty nine fifty three. That's on, on Amazon. That's the credits. I don't know. Oh well, yeah, I was on the DVD. Sorry. <laughs> um, well, anyway, um, but James Coburn just shows up and he just he smiles. Well, he's happy. You know, he's like, "You did a good job, Arnold." You know, he's just he's. I guess. It's just you know James Corburn. He's a charming guy. They wanted to, they wanted him to charm his way out of his, out of the movie. Although his last shot is him reacting to that van exploding. The van explodes. Right. And think that uh, so after the smile, then he reacts to the van exploding. And that's he's I guess left to think that uh, his best operative is now dead. And yes, <laughs> uh, he doesn't seem like he's in on that planning. He's no. very surprised. But yeah, another ninja move. Yes, the van explodes. But no, it, you know, the two of them have snuck down a manhole. And if you look, the manhole is not there. Before, if <laughs> well, you look at the street underneath that van where right. they had it parked, it's not there. Right, and also, how do they did they cut a hole in the bottom of the van? I guess I don't even know. It's a ninja move. Uh, so all the bad guys think that she's dead, and yes, the, there's some evil plotting in the limo. Another limo meeting, but oh no, there's there's a, there's a twist. Yes, there's <laughs> one of those. I thought you did it. No, I thought you did it. <laughs> nope, Johnny's in the front. Johnny's in the front. Johnny's useful again for a witness who. You know, probably should be staying in witness protection. <laughs> he's he's been breaking cover many times. Yeah, and so uh, he parks the limo on the train tracks, and uh, you got uh, the line, "You've just been erased." Yep, he calls him. Up. He has to call him up and gloat, which is kind of funny. He can't just kill him. No, he's got to call and gloat about it. Yes, you've just been erased, and, and you finally get a pun. 
at the buzzer. The buzzer beater pun like, it was, it was very close to not happening, but nope. What happened? They caught a train. <laughs> Credits. It's great. Uh, you know, I think maybe they had to catch a train is a better pun. I don't know. Maybe maybe I yeah. think that would have been a better line. They caught a train. This feels very blunt. It's and it's not. And what know. I want to know is why? How would Lee not know? I mean, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but a train hitting an automobile <laughs> makes a loud noise. Yeah. And you hear the train going, you know, giving the whistle <laughs> like you need to get off the tracks. Yeah, I, you know, they just they need to set up their one pun. So that's it. That's uh, that's the eraser. That is. So the, you know, I, I covered a little bit on '96 and Arnold's career, and you know, my thoughts on why it, it took a turn. I think from here because this was his last kind of non-Terminator hit. But yeah. I also wanted to cover some of the other stuff uh, in '96 because Arnold still, you know, had box office cachet, but kind of the other of his contemporaries. They were really starting to wane. And I, I pulled up some of the other action movies in, in 1996. Okay. And so just wanted to cover them quickly. You had, not, not, and not all of them are his contemporaries, but just action movies. We had Broken Arrow, Executive Decision, which is kind of Seagal. But anybody who's watched it, Seagal disappears really quickly in that movie. So it's, and it, it was a hit and a good movie, but not because of him. They sold it as a Steven Seagal movie, but it's, but, a, Kurt, it's a Kurt Russell It's a Kurt Russell movie. movie. Yeah. So here's where we get some good ones. The Quest with Jean-Claude Van Damme and Roger Moore. I've never seen it, but I kind of want to. I've never even heard of that. Yeah. I, again, these, I just had to look. Yeah. So as I remember, it, it, it sounds like a really bad one. Wow. Barbed Wire with Pam oh. Anderson. <laughs> yeah. As I noted, Twister and Mission Impossible. So those were kind of the genre changing where the fr- Mission Impossible franchise is established. Yeah. And Twister gets that beginnings of the disaster kind of movies going. The Phantom with Billy Zane. Wow, yes. Uh, so then I, I main reason I was looking is I wanted to see what came out around Eraser because it was a hit. The Rock came out a couple, couple of weeks, two weeks before Eraser. And The Rock is an action movie. I hate to admit I like a Michael Bay movie, but I, I do like The Rock. The oh. Rock is one of my favorite action movies. Credits where it's due. That's yeah. a great movie. It is a great action movie. Uh, and then shortly after Eraser, Independence Day, which Independence Day was... Earth, earth shattering. <laughs> I didn't mean that. Uh, add another pun to the count. Accidental pun. Accidental pun. There it is. But it was it was game changing in two ways. One, I think CGI. It really was a game changer. Yeah. And in particular, it's the first movie. I haven't looked this up to confirm, but the first movie I ever remember advertising during the Super Bowl. It was a huge deal. Oh yeah. Um, and I don't remember anyone before it, so I'm going to stand by that it was the first movie to advertise during the Super Bowl. Now, now today. Movies do it all the time, but that was unheard of at that time to advertise a movie and spend, you know, however, however much it was. It had to be a million dollars at least to advertise a movie. That was an outrageous amount of money. Oh, no question in my mind, one of the greatest like, marketing, marketing yeah. campaigns for a movie ever. Because that movie is okay. It's not great. It's not terrible either. It's okay. No, but, but you want to talk about great. It ended on the greatest shot it could have. The White House being destroyed CGI. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 I wonder if people, even like young people now, know how big, how much hype there was around a movie that it wasn't an existing franchise. It was an entirely new thing. And everyone, people were so excited for that movie. And it was just, it was only because of the ads and because of yep. the, the, yeah, like you said, the Super Bowl commercial. The Super Bowl commercial and, the, and, the, and other marketing, but that in particular, that you want to talk about getting a trailer right. They advertise oh, it during the Super Bowl perfect. and they end with the White House being destroyed. Perfect. It was a perfect ad campaign. I can't imagine. I can't remember any, any other like original movie, like a non-adaptation of a comic book or whatever, non-sequel, being that hyped up. I mean, people were going out of their minds. I remember I saw it like midnight opening day, and it was like 
what's Independence Day? We didn't even know what it was. What well, it was? A, I mean, we knew it was about the White House being blown up. That's about all we that, knew. You didn't. It was enough. Yeah, and they didn't reveal other than they revealed some of the great action shots. They didn't reveal anything else about it. Yeah, you, very little. You, and, and to be honest with that movie, it was probably good because really the movie isn't that good. Yeah, and, but, the, and, and the Matrix kind of ran that same playbook when that came out, or if you remember, it was yep. just what is the Matrix? Didn't reveal a lot about it. And it was, that's as close. If anything came close to Independence Day, it was that. It was, it was like, the Matrix, which was three years later in 99. Yeah, people were really excited. What's the Matrix? And they kind of got really hyped up. It's interesting that they don't use that that plan as much now as they used to. No. So it, I guess that, Cloverfield was similar, but whatever. So the fact that you know Eraser was still a top ten with a huge movie like Independence Day, you know, a week or a week and a half later, is a testament to I think Arnold still had a lot of box office star power in '96. So then, just to kind of finish out, Escape from L.A. Kurt Russell, uh, one of my favorite bad movies. It's not an action movie, but it's a Snipes movie. The Fan came out this year. It is one of my favorite bad movies. I love The Fan with I, De Niro and Wesley Snipes. I need to see that. I've never seen it. Finishing out '96, The Crow, City of Angels, which was the follow-up, uh, the, the sequel. Even though um, Brandon Lee had died, who plays the crow in that? I've never seen that. I can't remember. I should, but I can't. Some remember. nobody. Yeah. It's not some nobody. I actually think it is somebody. But it, I, okay. Uh, Last Man Standing, a Bruce Willis action movie, but that's kind of more of a gunfire movie than a, a true action movie, if right. you remember. It's with Bruce Dern. Uh, yeah, I've never seen it, but I remember it. The Glimmer Man, a true Steven Seagal movie Boy, with yeah. Keenan Ivory Wayans. Yeah. What a bad combination that is. I've not seen that, but it doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, actually, a good action movie, The Long Kiss Goodnight. It's a Shane Black script with um, Gina Davis and Samuel L. Jackson. It's underrated. I, I actually really enjoyed that movie. Hmm. The last one I had was Daylight, which was kind of an action, but really more disaster movie, and that was a Stallone vehicle. So if, as you can see, it's kind of Van Damme. He, was, he had really... Gone, gone off the rails, and his career was basically over. Stigall, Stigall was really fading. Yeah, all of them. It's not isolated and, to Arnold for sure. No, and, and, and so what I, I guess what what I noticed is that those other lesser stars were fading way faster than Arnold, and then this was kind of Arnold's last hit. And I think some of the reason why he didn't have the star power anymore was those other reasons I noted is that action movies changed, and yeah. and it, it kind of was they were the fossils, and they were kind of dying out, and the new action movies were coming about. Yeah, and I think this this it's it's I'm glad we covered both this and Last Action Hero in our first batch because I think those are the two like that's Last Action Hero is kind of the beginning of this turn where his career started kind of started to fall apart and then the Eraser yeah it's it's the it's it was a hit but it was still kind of on a downward a trajectory yep. you know what I mean like yeah so uh, but better than I remembered I kind of I enjoyed it up to a point. There are things that could have been better, but you know, I, I, this Eraser, I wasn't really expecting a whole lot, but it was better than I thought. It was better than I thought it was, but as we you know, recorded this and as I watched it, I wish it would have committed more to being 1996 Commando, because I think it yeah. could have been a lot of, a lot of fun and a, and a good action movie. That's for sure. Because so, it, had, it had a lot of moments. I mean, that final sequence, you're, you're, if they would have just committed to that type of action movie, I think this would have been, we would have... Yeah. Had a lot more fun doing this one. The kind of movie where his sleeves miraculously burn off from <laughs> yes. an explosion. Yes. That's the kind of movie this whole thing should have been. Yes. So that's, uh, that's the movie. So we get to our, our counts because uh, yes. obviously only one pun. One pun. And at you, as you said, at the buzzer. Yeah, which is very close. Uh, body count of 53. Wow. Which is our new champion. Yes. It dethroned Last Action Hero. Well, what is Last Action Hero 52? At 48. 48. 
Yeah, so pretty close. You know, but last section here had a decent run. You know, but but considering we didn't expect it to have a high body count, no, had a much longer reign than uh, I would have ever expected. Now, uh, you know, we've got uh, Batman and Robin as our pun champion. Yes, and uh, this is our body count champion. So we'll see what dethrones it. So that's our show. Uh, tune in next time. Uh, oh, we we need to pick the next movie first. Then we yeah, ra- so then we fi- wrap up. We're we're finishing out the season. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's why I was I was like something doesn't seem right here. Yeah, so we're finishing <laughs> out the season as we've established in earlier episodes. It's each season is going to end with a Terminator. Yep, and it's your pick. It's uh, my pick, and I've gone back and forth on this on whether we should do them in either order, sequential or reverse order. And I've I've had a hard time because there's a lot of things I'd like to do about Terminator Genesis. We. Uh, you and I have saw that in theaters, and there are a few things that I can remember that we would really like to discuss in that movie. Absolutely, but let me let me make make a pitch to you. So, you know, again, this is 100 percent your pick. I'm not. I'm just. I'm simply trying to influence the judge. But I feel there's a certain poetry to the fact that I think the two movies that prompted us to do this podcast were Last Action Hero and the fact that we both love that movie. But really, what caused like the the, the, the critical push, mass push over the cliff was when we saw Terminator Salvation and couldn't stop talking about not it. Salvation Genesis. But. Or Terminator Genesis, you're right. Oh god, not Salvation. <laughs> Don't we never want to talk about Salvation. No. Uh, in fact we will not. We won't because he's not in it. But I feel like Last Action Hero being our first episode and then if if you if we go in order in Terminator order, then that would make Terminator Genesis our last episode. There's the a certain poetry, a there, sim- there's symmetry. A nice bookends there. So that's I'm just gonna but if you really want to, I, I totally understand why you'd be chomping at the bit to want to talk about you Genesis. You know exactly why, because I could spend 30 minutes discussing one line of that. We already did Genesis. that podcast in the parking lot after the movie. <laughs> we, just, I, we just need to recreate that. We couldn't help but not but talk about that movie just for twenty yes. at least a half hour or something. Well, it is my pick, and here's the thing. is that you're, I, was, I was going to say The Terminator anyway, but the symmetry and the poetry, you're right, to have it. Genesis probably should be the last episode that we do, um, at least for the Schwarzenegger movies. And, you know, we may do some other action hero. Well, sure. But I agree with you. So we'll do Genesis last. The Terminator will be the next episode. Okay. So the movie that made him fam- I mean, he had certainly done stuff we've already watched, Stay Hungry, but The Terminator is, is really what made him a star. Absolutely. I mean, and, I, I, you know, I'm glad we're finally getting to The Terminator. You know, we... Didn't intentionally save it to last. After after a while, kind of like, well, we should probably save it to last. Better to be lucky than good. Uh, yeah, but that, that'll be fun. So next uh, next episode, we'll discuss the Terminator. So tune in then. Uh, until then, you can follow us on Twitter at Bad Puns Podcast. And uh, if you want to write us uh, an email, you can at questions at bpamg dot com. Uh, so we've got our uh, our new rule. Uh, yeah, and so what? Tell us what we've learned today. I'll give you the rule as well as to remind people to uh, you know like us on your podcast app of choice, and uh, certainly spread the word and maybe do a better job than we are at least at this point. I think eventually we'll get better about this. We'll have some more time to to do our own or do our own legwork as opposed to relying on all you out there. But uh, yeah, it'd be much appreciated. So anyway, yeah. So the the next rule in the crisis situation, I. It earlier alluded to how much I love the cheap mail order uh, piece. Which yep. there was a joke there that I wish they would have worked in uh, for con related to Sky Mall, which I'm not sure in 2016 if Sky Mall even exists anymore. But it certainly did in 1996, and okay. there that would have been perfect. There would have been a great joke, and I wish they would have. So I wanted to make sure that the crisis situation highlighted a missed opportunity, but also the, I think con's best line. So what I learned from this in a crisis situation is that you can. Bring a knife to a gunfight, and it can be useful. So that that is what you need to know: is that 
even though I think it's in the Untouchables that it's particularly you know made a point that you shouldn't bring a knife to a gunfight. That is not true in in all crisis situations. That's a fantastic rule. I bring a knife to a, you win. should bring a knife to a gunfight. Arnold brings a knife to a gunfight and wins. So yes. you're absolutely right. All right, so uh, yeah, that's the show. Uh, thanks for listening. Tune in next time when we discuss the Terminator. We'll see you then. Looking forward to it. Thank you.